Hello, everybody, and welcome to Asynchronous, a video game catch-up show. My name is AJ. My name is Kim. And today we are finishing up 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. We are talking about Remembrance 100%, Destruction 100%, and Analysis, I got to like 97%. Yeah, I didn't even, so I haven't even actually unlocked all of Analysis with all the uh, points that I have. But even if I did, I still wouldn't, I still don't have enough mystery points. And I don't know how that happened, but I also don't care. You will never catch me filling that out completely. I simply don't care. But we did it. We did it. We're we done. We did it. We're done. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, we're talking about obviously the entire game today, but specifically all of Renya Goto's story from yes. zero to 100%, uh, as well as Takatoshi Hijiyama's story to 100%, Area 3, Waves 5 through, no, yes, Waves 6, six through, through 10, 10, and the final battle. Yeah. And really quick, before we get into it, did you did you look at the fourth destruction area, the Area 4? Not really, no, because I simply will never do that. Why? Yeah, I'm I was just really curious. I was very surprised when they were like, yeah, there's a fourth one. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, I think it's there's supposed to be like a ton of battles in that. I think it's just if you really loved. Yeah, that, it looks like it just keeps going. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. I'm very curious, like the time frame that takes place in. But anyway, uh, I, I'll probably go back and play it, honestly, because I, I yeah, I loved the combat in this game. Really? I'm being fully honest. Oh my I gosh. did. I really liked it. I had a great time with it. It was so much fun fun for me i don't know and i really felt like at the end i mean i'm getting very much ahead of myself but uh i feel like at the end all the money that or all the meta chips that i spent on upgrades and stuff actually really helped me in the final yeah yeah that um, the progression does actually matter which is very cool yeah uh but that'll be something we'll talk about in probably about two hours from now so (laughs) (laughs) why don't we why don't we start this episode off uh with some bullshit Yes, Kim. I have a f- I have some fresh bullshit for you. Uh, and today's bullshit you. has a title. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I uh, hopefully you'll forgive me when I tell you the title of this bullshit because it does have a title. <laughs> okay. Thirteen Sentinels, three houses. <sighs> yeah. 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 Oh man. Okay. Uh, first of all, I need to give a shout out to uh, Jimmy T in the Discord, who a few weeks ago said, "I wonder which of the three houses each of the thirteen Sentinels would be in." You're yeah. about to find out. <laughs> um, one thing. Uh, I speaking w- of which, mm-hmm. sorry, Jimmy T, great artist, also working on currently a three houses food fight portrait, which is awesome. Wait, where is um, that? That's there's some in self promo. Uh, I know it's on his Twitter oh, as well. Shit, how did I miss this? He has all the line art done. I think it, it's awesome. It looks so cool. I'm so excited to check that out uh, for it to be finished. But also, Jimmy, hey Jimmy, no pressure. Look, if you don't want to finish, no it, don't pressure, finish it. But it's, I'm really excited to see it. So no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, thank you for this bullshit idea. Uh, yes. Thank you, and please um, never bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like this is like we're going to wind up with every single game being yes. like, what three houses house? To the end Probably. I already <laughs> intend to. There is there is one bullshit we did uh, this season. I won't spoil which one, but I intend to do it for every game going forward. Fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so 13 Sentinels, three houses. I, I want to say up front. It's not necessarily what energy they have. Okay. Because oh, okay. there are there are some things where I'm like, and we'll we'll talk about some specific examples, but there are some sentinels who I'm like, you could literally just be a stand-in for this character in three houses. And so right. that's not quite how I'm 
doing it in in most cases. It's more where would I put for maximum balance and or chaos? Interesting. Okay. Like if I if I were the sorting hat of <laughs> sure. three houses, where mm-hmm. would I put these fools? Yeah. I think yeah, I guess that's how I'll view it too. I think I'm going probably going to wind up going less on personality and more mm-hmm. on like what we know of their backgrounds. Interesting. Okay. Um well because like I, I don't know, that's that's the kind of interesting thing about the three houses houses, right? Is like mm-hmm. There's a plant there now. This Some is of the kids a, end up. Hmm. I, I think it's worth noting just so people yeah. understand the difference in energy. If you can feel it is because AJ has a standing desk now. I'm I'm standing up today. Uh, so the standing energy is hopefully going to drive me through this whole show. I walked four miles this morning. So we'll Holy see how long. My, <laughs> we'll see how long my legs hold up. Yeah, but, you're going to be tired. Uh, but I am standing. But anyway, what I was saying is that the. The houses like aren't necessarily split up by personality, you mm-hmm. know, like they all have like a vibe, but also there's like characters like, you know, Linhart or like Caspar who like don't really have like Black Eagles vibes, mm-hmm. but they are just there because like their dads are right, like, right. you know, in, in the Imperial Army and stuff. So now that um, that makes sense to me. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'll, I'll see because we don't know like a whole lot about backgrounds mm-hmm. um, for the most part, except for like general stuff of like, you know, Miura wants to live in 1940s Japan. Um, like, I don't know how much. <laughs> how applicable that is to <laughs> to a house but well uh, okay i have an idea but that's right, not yeah, actually i don't think i actually put him in that house but anyway we'll get there <laughs> all right um yeah let's let's get into it we're gonna start off with my favorite boy nenji ogata and i think this one is probably predictable but i am gonna put him in golden deer it does feel like the most modern house and he would fit into that vibe but the reason why i want him in golden deer specifically is because he has sort of an edgy felix energy that i think mm. is missing from golden deer like the tension in golden deer is from lawrence yeah but like that's not like an edgy like oh i don't even like any you know like there's (laughs) felix and i think nenji shares this it's sort of like i have to pretend that i don't care but secretly i care so much yeah so um i i I kind of just want to bring that to the golden deer and now if you will for each student i am going to do what I am referring to as support highlights, Jesus. which is imagining. I told you this is going to be a long bullshit. Yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> so it's just what I think some of their uh, most interesting support lines would look like. Okay. So, um, for example, I think Raphael and Nenji Ogata have a support line uh, in which Raphael is very interested in finding out what exercises Ogata does on leg day. Yeah, yeah. I want those tree trunks. Um, uh, there is definitely some supports with Leone where she gives Ogata shit for being a spoiled brat rich kid. Yeah. Who like pretend, you know, like is like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't want people to know that I'm like, she's like, you have everything in the world, like grow up. Yeah. I think that Ogata loves Ignatz's art and actually commissions pieces from him secretly. Whoa. And um, I want everyone to take a moment, if you will, and imagine the Ogata Hilda supports. <laughs> she will crush this man under her boot and he will yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be like the Hilda Kaspar supports, except mm-hmm. Ogata is more like he'll give more pushback than Kaspar does in this. Yeah. <laughs> so but I also items. think that Ogata is more overtly thirsty. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say I would say Caspar is like extremely not in tune with his sexuality at all. No, like, no. <laughs> Caspar only I, the, thinks about punching. Yeah, the vibe that I got from your description of those supports was like Caspar doesn't even realize that this mm. is an opportunity, right, for any sexual anything, right, right. Yeah. Um. Whereas I think Ogata is is uh painfully aware. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah. Moving on next. Well. Uh. Sorry. Ooh, can I? Can, please. Can we, yes, like, yes. Like yes, yes, as yes. as we go through, you'll do yours and I'll do mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, so here's the thing I think as you said Nenji's a rich kid right? yeah he I know exactly from, where you're going with this I know you do mm-hmm. <laughs> like Shikishima is like the largest c- corporation in the world mm-hmm. um, you think based, the empire has a, a it's, Shikishima it's contract adjacent. <laughs> it's empire adjacent uh, yeah. and I think Nenji ends up in the Black Eagles um, mm-hmm. I could totally see that yeah uh just just purely for that connection and i think even if he was like i don't know even if shikishima was somewhere else like based in like mm-hmm. lester or something i think his dad would be like no you're gonna be in the black eagles like you're gonna work with the empire kids because we, yeah. you know we need an in there and then in terms of supports i think i mean obviously his and caspar supports would just be incredible because they're mm-hmm. basically like we just said basically the same person except ogata's somehow a little more intense mm-hmm. um <laughs> Just, I guess his his personality generally is more intense. Where Caspar is just like intense in battle situations. Mm-hmm. I think he and Dorothea are. That's basically like Tomi and Nenji. Like, interesting. I, I think that's kind of how you know. But I think it starts off similar to Ferdinand and Dorothea's uh, mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Um, of like her starting off with like you know just calling kind of like nagging him and calling him a bee right <laughs> um and then and then him being like no you know what i blah 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 you know i i think i think that ends up very positively in the end i think uh i think if if we're if we're making otps out of this i think that is yes, the one absolutely i think that is the that is the one there uh is, is dorothea ogata uh I want to say he has one. He has a pretty good line with Hubert, but I can't think at all of what it is. Yeah. I, yeah, that's I think, hard okay, to... Wait, okay, I think Hubert tries to, like, inadvertently commission Ogata, or commission Shikishima to, like, build Sentinels mm-hmm. for the Empire okay. <laughs> through Ogata, <laughs> but he just doesn't get it. He's just too dense to understand. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah, and, and you know, Hubert's not going to outright say, like, hey, this is a power grab. Can we get mm-hmm. can we get some Sentinels? That's 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 where I'll leave it. I think his Ferdinand ones are also really good uh, in yeah. kind of, like, the same way that his Caspar ones would be very good is, like, they're kind yeah. of similar personalities. I Yeah, uh, worth pointing out, that is the same voice actor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as, yes. Yeah, so that would be um, very interesting. Incredible. Um, <laughs> okay, are we ready for our next? Yes, let's, okay. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> next up, we have Tomi Kisaragi. Now, I think at first blush, it seems like she would also be Golden Deer. Very Mm -hmm. like her personality would fit very modern. But putting her and Hilda in the same house would be entirely too much. It would give the two of them collectively way too much power and they would rule the school Um, for for similar reasons. I think you cannot put her in Black Eagles. And so I would put her in Blue Lions because they need a girl with a little bit of an edge. Mm. Um. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um. So some support highlights I envisioned uh, Tommy and Mercy making baked goods together. I think she would push to do to stop being such a fucking doormat for Dimitri. Damn. Um. I don't know if she'd be successful at it, but she would certainly try. And I think she would put Ingrid in her fucking place. And I don't know what that means exactly, <laughs> but I know. But like, I'm like, this would not be it would start off with a fight and Tommy would be right about whatever it was they were fighting about. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I feel like they would be one of the lines that's like their C support is very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then their B support doesn't happen until post time skip. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, we had this fight in the past. Sorry. And like, that's their whole line. Like mm-hmm. they never actually like yeah. fully iron anything out. But I think you're absolutely right that that Tommy gives uh, Ingrid some well-deserved shit. Yeah. <sighs> You've really made a great case for having her in, a, in Blue Lions. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking the same, like she has that golden deer energy. Right. <sighs> Yeah, I think like you're the right. The balance I think, of the universe needs her to be in Blue Lions. Exactly. I think her and Hilda is is too much, and her and Edelgard, that short girl Ooh, power yeah. energy, is would they would take over the entire world in in a, in a second. You know. So I think you're 100 right that that Tommy goes to Blue Lions um, and just kind of cosmically balances everything out. Mm-hmm. Where okay, do you who right. do you think she ends up with? Ooh, I could see Tommy. I'm envisioning. I think that her her support lines with both. Felix and Sylvain would be like, you absolutely need to cut the shit. Yes. Like you absolutely need to cut the crap. I do not like, I don't want to hear energy. Felix about how, but how like, Oh, you don't care about anyone. I know that's yes. bullshit. Sylvain. Yes. Oh, I'm well, shut up. Like she's, <laughs> she's not going to take any of it. So I could yeah. see her fitting well with either of them, notwithstanding that they should be together, but uh, with either <laughs> of them, I yeah. could see that working out or she and mercy just make big goods for the rest of their lives. I would, actually really love that so they just make pear tarts for the rest yeah. of the, their lives yeah sweet. they like start a a, a little bakery, bakery. yeah 100 percent. yeah i was thinking the same thing of of, of felix probably i forgot Celine existed yeah that's fair yeah we yeah. choose to forget I, I, I agree sweet okay next up shuami gucci my reasoning here is very similar to my reasoning with tomi blue lions has its fuck boy golden deer has its fuck boy Black Eagles, meet your new fuckboy. His name is Shu Amiguchi. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that using your your way of of getting about it, I think Shu also belongs Black Eagles because he's a rich kid. Yeah, I mean, he's a rich kid, but also <laughs> if we're going in the, the fiction of 13 Sentinels... He's he's given up for adoption or whatever. So I think he ends oh. up in like Golden Deer or something. That's interesting. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, well, here are my support highlights. Obviously, he falls for Dorothea immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's just him simping for her the entire uh, support line. Yeah. Hubert threatens to kill him for flirting with Edelgard. Yes. And Linhart is very impressed by his ability to do minimal work while still getting good grades and generally <laughs> being a successful person. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- he is just a different flavor Linhart, really. He's he's he Linhart if he like liked being around people. Mm-hmm. But like and they both love to flirting. slack off. They're both really smart when they want to be. But I think she just has more of a yeah, he's like flirty and and enjoys has a bigger social battery, I guess. Right. I think I, I think I'm going to end up putting him in Golden Deer for for the mm. like I left you on the Amaguchi's doorstep reason. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Or maybe. Oh, man. Shit. I guess if he's being left on the Amaguchi's doorstep, then that would mean he would end up in the Empire. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Oh, shit. It's like, he. you know what? It's almost like he's the kid of a rich Fargus house who was dropped on the doorstep of a rich house of the Empire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. So maybe he does. Maybe he does end up at Black Eagles. Then I think. I think that's. I think that tracks. I really just like the the shoe Dorothea line. Um, yeah. You know. I mean, it's basically where he ends up anyway. We need to see yeah, it. We got to see it. Yeah. We got to see it. Uh, next up, Yuki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, for similar reasons as Nenji, I would like to see her in Golden Deer again. I like the edgy energy in Golden Deer. I like kind of a troublemaker there. And in terms of supports, 
For some reason, I really see her deciding that it's her responsibility to protect Marianne. And I thought about this way too hard yesterday when I was writing this. And I was like, I need a crossover of Yuki and Marianne. Because for some reason that speaks to me. I think she absolutely treats Lysithia like a child. Um, That is a very combative relationship. Yeah. And I think she encourages Ignatz to drop out of school and become an artist, which he obviously does not do. But she's planting some seeds for the mm-hmm. future, you know, mm-hmm. like in a very forceful way. Yeah, yeah. I 100% think you're right. I think she belongs in Golden Deer for balance reasons and, and I don't know, semi-narrative reasons, I guess. We don't really know much about her, but her kind of whole situation of like, you know, dad in prison seems kind of mm-hmm. Golden Deer. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think you're right. I think, I think Golden, Deer, Golden Deer needs this like edge kind of mm-hmm. like like blue lines has felix yeah um and black eagles is kind of just they're just kind of all edge so i think i think having her in, in golden deer is a very good uh mm-hmm. balance it also occurs to me i think that she and claude would get along really well i think he would like her a lot i um, think he would like her a lot but i think it would take until they're like a or s for them for her to be like oh fine i like being around you know I like spending time yeah that's fair i could also see her and hilda getting along just like skipping class together <sighs> yeah I see. I, I I I sighed because I was doing I was, hot girl shit. <laughs> I was thinking about Yuki being kind of like fed up with Hilda's kind of like laziness uh, and stuff. Like, why aren't but you I don't just? Think, I don't think Yuki is like like Yuki didn't like care about school or you no. Know, but she I think, cares about people. Yeah, specifically not to know. But I think I think maybe their supports would start out with Yuki being like, "Why are you so?" like chill all the time you could be mm-hmm. you could be sick like me and then as they move on uh you know as the supports move on it's like oh we actually are really similar you know that that level yeah. of understanding yeah that i that vibes okay next up is iori fuyasaka and i just this is actually this is the exception to my rule where she would fit in so well with mercy and annette that like i just can't not put her in blue lions yeah like it like it just doesn't I don't know it just makes sense for Iori to be a, a part of a group of three friends and Annette and Mercy could really provide that for her in this crossover game that we're building <laughs> yeah so I think that she would actually have some nice Felix support and just like crack his shell simply by by being very nice and genuine with him unfortunately I do think that she's kind of into Sylvain's bullshit and like falls for it a little bit mm. like I feel like I'm thinking of Mercy's supports with Sylvain which are very much her being like I really understand that like you've had a rough time you know with the the whole crest situation but also you need to kind of cut the shit I think that Iori would stop before the cut the shit part she would just be like I'm so sorry (laughs) like about how hard your life has been yeah and finally, I could see her and Ash having a really nice support arc and a good paired ending. Um, maybe like Very he realizes sweet. how much she enjoys food and cooks for her. That I think that would be actually a really cute like couple. Yeah, I think Yori and Felix would end up, you know, I think that's kind of uh, Felix is like the A adjacent mm-hmm. character here. So I think it would be kind of Yori being like, I have a crush on this boy and then kind of like just like spending time around him. Yeah, uh, I can see until, that. until he's like, finally, uh, I don't know, I get, gives in, I guess. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants to say, I agree the like group of three friends uh, mm-hmm. is like necessary for Yori. And I feel like if she went golden deer, I still haven't decided, made up my mind yet. Then it would be her, Marianne and Hilda. Okay. 
I could see um, that as as the three friends. You know, the Hilda, like, what do you think, Marianne? All that stuff. Mm, um, yeah, the Hilda, being, Hilda is kind of the Tomy, right? And Marianne is kind of the Miwa. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I think, and I think just for sake of keeping our lists different, I think that's where I'm going to go as okay. well for, for for solely that reason and not really any that. other reason. <laughs> I mean, you could really slot her in anywhere. I think she could. Yes, she's anyway. very, she's very, you know, affable, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Next up, we have Renya Goto. And I think... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm just, I, 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 you haven't even said anything. I'm just imagining him in, first of all, any of the houses, but first, uh, Black Eagles and him and Hubert just like standing in the shadows all the time. Like, so AJ, I'm so glad that you brought up <laughs> Hubert because I think Blue Lions needs a Hubert. I think so. He, they need someone cold and calculating and like strategic. Renya Goto could be that guy for them. Yeah. Wow. So support highlights him and Sylvain talking strategy. We get more of that. Like Sylvain is actually like processing. He There's a smart man under there underneath all of the misogynistic bullshit. Yeah. I, I feel like he and Goto would have a good time scheming. <laughs> I I think that there would be some very cute uh, Goto and Net supports where Annette is trying to encourage him to loosen up like any amount. Yeah. And I, I did right. I think if you recruit him to Bleagles, he has some banger Hubert supports where they're just like, at first they are just like sizing each other up and like trying to decide if they trust each other. And then like their, I don't know, later B plus or A supports are them actually being like, all right, so how do we rule yeah. the world? Yeah, I think their, their, their later supports are, are them scheming together. And I think their earlier supports mm-hmm. are like, Goto being like, hey, what's House Vestra's deal? Like, yeah. well, you guys are like always sneaking around. Like, you guys really hold the power here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Hubert being like, no, no, blah, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then their next support is Goto yeah. coming to Hubert and being like, I, f- I fucking figured you out, man. Yeah. I have done some I digging. noticed that uh, you asked Edelgard about poisoning this person. <laughs> and she notebook. said no. And then they ate some bad mushrooms and now they're dead. Yeah. yeah like with this little notebook. Yes. Uh, yeah. Me. And I think post time skip that stuff you know ingratiates goto to hubert mm-hmm. uh, and then they, they work together <laughs> to destroy the world oh, i love that image so much yeah it's good oh man but part of me feels like goto has kind of a golden deer like like he's not like working for anyone you know i mean he is kind mm-hmm. of in the game but like he's just like doing what he thinks is best or like just trying to figure everything out and i feel like golden deer best positions him to kind of be able to you know kind of be a free agent uh in a lot of ways i don't know i don't know i mean his the 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 hubert scenes in my mind are are a uh, reason enough to put him <laughs> into uh black eagles so that's where he's going all right um another black eagle i think is Ryoko Shinonome. I don't know why. I just feel like she belongs there. I mean, uh, I I feel like we don't need anyone with, we don't need any more like extreme trauma Mm -hmm. in the Blue Lions. They have enough going on. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see her vibing with Golden Deer. So it just felt like she should go in Black Eagles. Yeah. I could see her and Edelgard though, having some like genuinely heart-wrenching supports where they talk about their pasts. Mm Mm-hmm. I could see her having some Ferdinand supports where he really helps her on tough days when she's like really struggling. 
Um, and this is like one of those like really good paired endings. Mm. Um, and I think also some cute Caspar supports because, you know, one thing that we now know about Ryoko Shinonome is that she knows nothing except fight Sentinels um, <laughs> or fight in Sentinels. So I feel like her having all of that like tactical training in her brain would make her and Caspar uh, sort of buds. Yeah, I think for similar reasons, I, I, I agree. I think Ryoko ends up in Black Eagles. And I think for yeah. similar reasons to her Caspar supports being good, uh, her Petra supports would also be really good. Oh, yeah. You know, Petra's right. training and, you know, Petra notices Ryoko. I don't know, just the way mm-hmm. that Ryoko does things is like, hey, you're like, you've got a really strategic mind. Like, could you help? Like, I'm good at the fighting part, but the strategy part isn't really like my strong suit. Can we yeah. kind of work together? to figure that out i love that and uh i also think she has a really sweet paired ending with linhart Hmm. similar to the way that linhart and lysithia's stuff works out of linhart trying to like help her figure her crest things out yeah i think i think linhart is like hey let me help you with your (laughs) nano machine stuff Aw, that's really cute. Yeah, yeah. Okay, next up we have Aseki Gahara. He feels like an obvious Black Eagle, which is why I want to put him into the Blue Lions for chaos reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Lions are all about like duty and honor and responsibility and A has none of those things. And so I think it would be an interesting dynamic. I will say he and Felix do bond over like a rejection of chivalry, but A sort of like red pills Felix. So to make it like way worse than it ever was with felix man because felix is like pretending that he doesn't care about that shit when he really kind of does a a absolutely does not oh and their supports felix like like a's a's uh attitude like pushes felix to be like hey maybe maybe we can chill a little bit yeah like okay (laughs) this is a little too far even for me yeah (laughs) yeah like oh i i'm realizing something about myself which is that i'm not like you i think he and ingrid absolutely do not get along because she is the exact opposite she's Mm -hmm. all nightly and he's all nihilistic and i think they fight a lot i also think that he and do never get along they have Mm -hmm. one of those support lines that's just like a fight and like i guess we have to work together so we're going to be simple (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like they they it like ends at a b and like it it's just you just know these two characters have never uh reconciled really yeah Yeah. i think oh man i think his b his b and a with dimitri post time skip (laughs) <laughs> it's like very like yeah that's yes, true we should be doing this like, we should go mm-hmm. kill let's go yeah it's like the <laughs> devil on dimitri's shoulder yeah exactly exactly <laughs> any further thoughts no i think you're 100 percent right. Right. right a is a is blue lines uh, perfect for chaos Okay, so next up we have Hijiyama. And here's the thing. He seems like the kind of dude who would live underground. So I want to say Ashen Wolves. But the problem is I didn't play the DLC. So I don't know the wolves well enough uh, to do that. So I'm going to do the next best thing and put him in Black Eagles. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I need to see some Hijiyama cast bar supports. I think they like to train together and then they go to the dining hall and inhale lunch. That's the thing. They're just the same character. Yeah, kind of. Hijiyama's a little sadder, though. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think Bernie is terrified of him, but he becomes obsessed with her cooking. Sort of like the Raphael-Bernie support line where Raphael is like following her around because he wants to hear her music and she's like, leave me alone. I think Hijiyama (laughs) does the same, but with food. Yeah, And I think this is going to be controversial, but I think Hijiyama has a strange power over Dorothea because I think that Hijiyama 
is everything that Dorothea respects in people. He is completely Mm -hmm. unpretentious, but he is very principled. And I think that she really, really admires it, him. And she's like, who is this man? Like he, he, like he has the secret sauce that she needs, you know? Yeah, that's good. Hear me out. Mm -hmm. Hijiyama and Hilda. (laughs) it's very good to me it is very good very very good that's very good oh man but because yeah again he's just caspar so (laughs) right he is just caspar yeah uh and i think i think golden deer could use a caspar as evidenced by my golden deer run (laughs) okay but they do have Raphael. they do have Raphael, but oh man and then Raphael and hijiyama as well also really good yeah it's a different brand of himbo oh man I'm going to say I'm going to say that Hijiyama goes to Golden Deer because I think he works just as well in Golden Deer as he does in Black Eagles. I agree. I just think he doesn't work in Blue Lions at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) that would be a very weird vibe, I think. Okay. next up, we have Keitaro Miura. And this is another one where I'm like, you have analogs in this game because he is basically just another Ash or another Ignatz. Yeah. Who were kind of the same boy in many ways to begin with. And Miura is just another one of them. So for balance purposes, I'm putting him in Bleagles. But... I think he fits best in the Silver Snow slash church route. Interesting. I think he spends all of Crimson Flower with indigestion, worried if he's doing the right thing. He feels very good about what he's doing if he's on the church route, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Although I will say, if he's a, if he's alt-right, I do think that the imperialism speaks to him. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reevaluating that. In any event, I think he and Petra have some nice supports where he yes. helps her adapt to life in Fodland, sort of similar to her supports with Ash. I think he's the only person that doesn't terrify Bernie and they have a really nice friendship. Mm. Getting their B plus support unlocks Hamburger in the kitchen and they're the only two characters who like it. Wow. And then in the church route, he has some great supports with Flane and Sedith. Yeah. And his Sedith support, his like his support line with Sedith ends with Sedith being like, you know, if Flane insists on dating someone, <laughs> I hope it's this guy. Sure. Similar to the Raphael ending. Yeah. Well, mm. the Raphael ending was my head canon. I don't know that that, oh. that actually. Yeah, that was me imagining God. that Sedith would, would like her to date Raphael because Raphael's too stupid to realize that she's a saint. Right. I think he'll let he'll be like, this guy could never possibly hurt her because he is basically a teddy bear so if she must Mm -hmm. i hope it's this guy yeah i like that (laughs) unfortunately a lot because of the the (laughs) miera's maybe alt-right reasons of like (laughs) his supports with hubert are like (laughs) like very empire like pro empire Mm -hmm. um and with everybody else he's kind of just like (laughs) you know just regular miera but with but every time he talks to hubert he's like what do we have to do to get edelgard on that throne like what's (laughs) Like, what are we doing? Like, how are we, how are we doing this? <laughs> um, which I think is a very funny image. And yeah. I do, I do agree. I think having him in Golden Deer Blue Lions is just too much of that Ash Ignatz energy for one house. Like, we can right. only have one mostly one innocent boy. boy. Yeah. 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 So I think he he also, a lot of Black Eagles. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of Black Eagles here. Yeah. Um. I, I ended up, there is a, mostly a balance. Um, okay. But. We'll discuss so <laughs> i'm sorry but they're one more black eagle megami yakushiji i think she belongs here i i can't place my finger on why i do know that she and edelgard hate each other at first because there's only one room for one gaslight gatekeep girl pause in this house mm-hmm. eventually they reach a tenuous truce mm-hmm. by extension i think that hubert does not like or trust megami <laughs> until he sees that she's willing to do anything to get what she wants and he mm. like comes to respect that about her and i think that she's extremely mean to linhart god yeah 
This is a real head scratcher for me. Yeah, she was tough. She was tough to place. Her energy is just so all over the place, I think. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to get a bead. I th- I feel like, honestly, you know, from what I know about Blue Lions, it's the house I know the least about. Mm-hmm. I feel like her sense of like, oh, but no, that's pretty Black Eagles, actually, of being like, I will do whatever I need to do to like do to what get, I think is yeah, right. Yeah, my particular goal. Yeah, yeah. But don't you think Blue Lions could use some of that energy, you know, instead of just following? No. <laughs> They're just following is, Demetri they have all the time. Dimitri. Yeah, exactly. They need someone to offset that. Be like, what if this is the right thing instead? Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because say, her thing isn't like something people can follow her on because she's like I just I just want this one boy yeah and I'll do what anything I need to do to get this one boy yeah yeah I'll believe a cat that tells me this I'll gun is magic <laughs> that's how much I want my boyfriend back oh god I uh, will say if you recruit her to Blue Lions there's a whole support uh line with Felix about cats nice I yeah. really I I I abstain I cannot think of where to put Megumi. She's she was maybe the toughest one. Yeah. Okay. Getting towards the end here. Uh, one of our last ones is not snow. And I think she's got to be golden deer, both because I cannot separate her from Yuki. And also just because it makes so much goddamn sense. Yeah. Like she she has to be. This is another one where I'm kind of breaking my own rule, but I'm like, I can't. She's she is perfect for golden deer mm-hmm. and somehow also offers an energy that they don't already have. Yeah. Which is like friendly herbo right she's um kind of like Raphael, kind of mm-hmm. like ignatz kind of like hilda, kinda like, hilda like she's kind yeah. of a mixture of all of them exactly i think she and claude have a great support line because <laughs> i think not in this universe still believes in aliens and everyone thinks she's crazy except claude who thinks she's onto something and together they uncover the truth fuck i because love that there oh are kind of aliens. wow yeah um, <laughs> I guess maybe we should put a, a minor spoiler warning uh, at the beginning of this for three houses. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think she teaches Raphael about jogging. I think she's like, you know, in addition to weightlifting, you should also do some aerobic exercise. Right. And running is great for that. And so they go running together. Um, I think she and Leone are besties. Yeah, dude. Could you not see them just being friends? I don't even yeah, know dude. why. It just fits. Yeah. And I think Lawrence finds her uncouth, unladylike, unbearable. It's just like you are repulsive. And why she are you why it. are you wearing your running shorts to class? <laughs> this is absolutely unacceptable behavior. Yeah. I feel like she doesn't clock any of Lorenz's no. criticisms at all. He Not says all this stuff and she's like, yes, that is true. I am wearing my running shorts. <laughs> yeah, he he like because so many of his comments are like kind of snide mm-hmm. offhand, like passive aggressive. And they mm-hmm. just they go right over her head. Yes, yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Golden deer. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. So the last one is Jiro Karabe. And once again, <laughs> this man is so bland that it's impossible to know what to do with him. Mm. But I uh, I put him in golden deer. uh for like number balance purposes, mm. because I believe uh, with that, we have five bleagles, four blue lions and four golden deer in this group. Unless I, unless the math isn't mathing. Uh, I think Hilda is thrilled. She never has to lift a finger again. If Jero's in her house, um, Lysithia chews him out for being such a fucking pushover. And unlike in her <laughs> Ignat supports where you feel bad for the guy with Jero, you're like, she's right. Yeah. Lawrence shits all over him and he just takes it. Even Marianne <laughs> is like, 
I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> um, and finally, if you recruit him to Blue Lions, he and Dimitri bond over having imaginary friends. Uh, oh, my God, Kim. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was that was maybe uncalled for, but I'm feeling spicy. <laughs> um, I think, oh, man, I think Jiro ends up in my Blue Lions. Okay. Um, I, just because he is so bland, you can slot him in yeah. anywhere, really. And I have. Oh my god, he and Ingrid would have the most passionless romance. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I think. I think he ends up in Blue Lions for me. I think he and <laughs> Dimitri Bond. <laughs> I can't believe you. Um. I do think his and Sylvain's support line is Sylvain just trying to get him a girlfriend. Yeah. The whole time of like, you got this, man. You could do it. like, you know, you're not totally bland, right? <laughs> <laughs> or it's like secretly a bet between somebody and Sylvain of like, I bet you can't get your girlfriend. <laughs> that's the that's the undercurrent. Yeah, he bet of the, the gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. God, who else is in Blue Lions? Uh, Mercy and at Ash to do. I feel like he and Dudu have a support line, which is just them silently eating lunch. Yeah, just <laughs> like just staring at each, each other. other. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, in a weird way they have a very good friendship because of that. Uh, yeah, I Dudu think do. loves I, this guy. <laughs> yeah, just because they like hang out and he'll do whatever you ask him to do. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think I, I think all the blue lines are just just trying to like crack Juro's like shell yeah. i think ash is also trying to like you know yeah. i don't know just trying like sell him on like maybe tales of chivalry or your thing or maybe like this is your thing like he's just mm-hmm. trying to find one thing that joe's like kind of interested in and he's always yeah. just like yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah three hopes ash is very much like that where like mm. a lot of his supports are like let me help you like figure out you know this secret about your past or let me help you i don't know like he's he's very much like a i want to help you out kind of guy in three hopes that's kind of the vibe i got from him just from you talking about him in three houses too yeah he's a very sweet boy very sweet boy i love you ash that's all or did you have more that's it that's all of the yeah because that's all the the 13 and i we can't this can't go on much longer it's gonna be an hour of the podcast (laughs) one quick question Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you think manuela likes or hates morimura (laughs) here's the thing i think she hates her maybe at some point she comes around but there is no doubt in my mind that at the beginning she hates her. Mm-hmm. She's like, there is only room for one big titty school nurse yeah. at this school. <laughs> and it's me. And if you think for a fucking second that you were going to steal any of these nights away from me, I will murder you. Yeah. Straight up. I 100% agree. Their C and B supports are very competitive. And then post time mm-hmm. skip their A support is like you know, Morimura like saves her on the battlefield or something. And then they have, yeah, I, I I think that their post time skip supports because I know that toward the end, Manuela is like, I still haven't met anyone. I think it becomes like them drinking wine together and like lamenting lost loves. And then they have an S support. They end up together. That's it. That's, that's the dream. 
honestly. Yeah, uh, actually, I yeah. I, Manuela tell or, or, or like teaches Morimura how to kind of like own her sexuality and stuff, you know, because yeah. Morimura is a pretty, for as like busty and stuff as she is, she's mm-hmm. a pretty sexless character. She is. And I mean, she also, at least in like her nurse outfit with her arms crossed all the time, she looks like uncomfortable. Yes. Like, uh, Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I just wanted to give that little supplementary Shit. <laughs> little supplement there. I love I love this headcanon we've invented. <laughs> but I have to tell you, like, putting this bullshit together was the first time that I understood why people do, like, cross-media shipping <laughs> and, like, fanfics. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I understand I now. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, hey, we've been talking for 45 minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I told you it's going to be long. Yeah. So let's... I'll, let's put a break sound here and we will uh, come back and talk about how we were going to talk about the ending of this game. Yeah. Uh, does that sound good? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Godspeed. See you soon. <laughs> Hello, we're back. It feels weird to call out a break, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, well. it does. But here we are. So... Most of, as we as we mentioned at the top, most of this episode is going to be Renya Goto's story. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Goto's story is that it has one sort of framing scene that like sets the stage for the whole the whole remembrance. But it pops in and out of that and other flashbacks and flashes to the future many, many times. And so for for sake of talking about it, um, we have kind of done some hack and slash and mm-hmm. re repasting things together so that that framing scene is one that he has with um baby chihiro in ayame park <laughs> um it unfolds like the final reveal of a murder mystery yeah. in a way that's exactly what it is and it's extremely good but the way that we're we're gonna do this is we're reordering the story so that the events that he participates in are basically in chronological order. So instead of seeing the flashbacks of what he did, you know, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> we're just going to do all of that in order, including the Ayame Park scene. Yeah. But that scene will include a number of flashbacks to logs that he references. Yeah. There is like one scene where he presumably watched all of these logs but um for most of the logs we're just going to talk about them as they come up in conversation because that's also sort of like how the mystery of the game is finally revealed mm-hmm. um and it is definitely more fun to talk about it that way i think yeah i think it would get pretty old if we would be like like we would be burying the lead on something we're about to reveal right. in like you know five minutes so there's just no point yeah you know? so yeah you'll you'll sort of see how it goes as we proceed yeah I got to say, just right off the bat, really happy we saved this for last. Me too. I think it really, really, really paid off uh, in most ways. There were a couple things where I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. But yeah, um, there are a few things. I mean, it's sort of the whole conceit is like that murder mystery vibe is, you know, who killed Miss Morimura? And we already knew. We already knew. (laughs) Story. Yeah. 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 Which I think sets a really interesting tone for the whole for for this whole Mm -hmm. thing. But I also think like having him interspersed his stuff, I think would have kind of been more confusing and obfuscated like the the larger picture of what's happening. Um, So I'm okay giving up the like, you know, who killed Morimura thing for the sake of a little bit more clarity in terms of like what is happening. 
in, exactly. in the larger story, you know? Yeah, I so. I fully agree. And there's no guarantee, even if we had done Goto, like, you know, earlier, that we wouldn't have gotten A's, yeah. like, reveal. Yeah. Anyway. I, think, I think we probably would have ended up finishing A's before we, yeah. before we got to Goto's reveal. So, yeah, really worked out. I also... Yeah. I owe Renya Goto an apology. I like him a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah. Um, the dude's scheming, but man, is he, he is good scheming. at it. He does some real stink man shit. But at the end of the day, it's he's he has a lot of style about it. And I think it's kind of cool. He has a lot of style. <laughs> and honestly, I think he is a big part of why they succeeded in the end. Um, oh, yeah. 100%. So, you know, I'm, I'm a I'm a I am a, a, a reformed Renya Goto fan, I guess. Me too. Uh, so. Me too. I also just really liked like he is they present him as like, oh, he's, you know, like a detective solving a mystery. But what he's really doing is lawyering. And so that really speaks to me. Oh, interesting. He's gathering the evidence and building a case. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's great. Anyway, (laughs) let's start at the beginning of uh, Goto's entrance into this story. Yeah. So. The first scene chronologically for him is uh, it takes place in 2104 in the Shikishima underground lab. This is they call out shortly after Goto met Morimura for the first time. So Goto and and Ida, the adult Ida, are at the monitors in this lab. Okino and Katsuit Morimura walk in. We find out that Goto is originally from the 2060s and the 2060s have not yet been invaded by Daimos. The 2100s have um, and they have clearly like recruited Goto as one of the compatible to try and figure out how to stop this. Yeah, the compatible, a phrase that's going to come up a lot. <laughs> yeah, so you know the surface as we know is covered in radiation meanwhile the dimos are continuing to reproduce in the automated factories uh in this world um we find out that the in 2080 the factories started functioning as part of like a fully automated network instead of like individually which is some geth shit uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> mass reference and production is starting to ramp up which they understand means that like the attack on 2064 is imminent but it says this time they have the sentinels so my understanding is that sector one had no sentinels sector two is the first time they're used they were like invented quote in this loop yeah um, okino I mean, you know they, they find okino and okino is the one that right quote unquote builds the sentinels yeah and it yeah. seems like it's still based on like plans that are in the mainframe yeah i guess from the daimos game yeah well because because you know we get that scene with okino and hijiyama where he says Mm -hmm. like you know i i just made the the daimos are or the sentinels are from daimos code and then we get the right put the fate of the world in the video game yeah Uh, so yeah that's sort of like the playing field so ida and goto were here searching the mainframe they found some archived news reports from 2188 uh, the first one is from March of 2188, and it discusses how Newman Inc. was acquired by Shikishima. Um, we see the Shikishima CEO, who uh, we referred to last episode as Gary Oldman, uh, talking about how excited they are to like have nanomachine tech um, from Newman Inc. And then another report from June of 2188 about how Newman Inc. execs have been charged with human trafficking, cloning, and tampering with memories using mind hacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, they have figured how to reincarnate the dead by downloading their memories into living people spooky horrifying horrifying so they're like well we can't shift to 2188 for some reason so we can't verify any of this so let's 
table that for now and just focus on how we save the 2060s. Ida mentions that there are two other compatibles from this time. I was actually kind of confused about this because we know A and Ryoko are from this time, but we also know that Juro fights in this timeline. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know who they're referring to. Maybe was Juro from the 2100s originally? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think we could say that like maybe they've already found Ryoko yeah. or a, and there are just two more. But yeah, yeah, it is it is kind of weird to yeah. catch it like that. Anyway, the Battle of 2064 happens. Uh, the Sentinel infection incident happens during that battle. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> people are force shifted all over the place, including Juro to 2025. Mm. He tries to defend 2025 on his own and we all know how that turned out right uh, but during that attack goto and morimura grab tomiki saragi and bring her to 1985 back in 1985 <laughs> now after that goto has a conversation with tamal karabe who tells him in confidence and tamal karabe here is actually just the ai of uh, the true Tamau who once piloted Sentinel number true 18, Tamau. or I guess it's like true Tamau. I mean, like, uh, I think it's her from like one or two loops ago. I'm not yeah. sure, yeah. but uh, it's not four to six is what I meant. <laughs> so Tamau is like, Hey, Goto, I just wanted to let you know, Mori Mora has been implanting the memories of four to six into once Jiro Izumi, who is we're now turning into Jiro Karabe. Right. She says, not the escaped android, but the memory data from the man himself. Yeah. So his his sector zero his, backup. His sector zero backup. And Tamau is like, I did my best to talk her down. Now I'm handling his treatment, but I'm very worried that she hasn't given up on this. I think she might be in love with 426 and feels guilty about killing him and wants to bring him back for that reason. So like I'm letting you know that this is a problem. <laughs> right. And so Goto's like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Apparently she's in love with 426. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find out more about his feelings about that later. <laughs> and um, this is fishy. So a few weeks prior to the final battle, he is in the science room, click clacking away on the monitor. And Mori Mura walks in and she's like, what are you doing with the gate? Like, this is prohibited. He's like, I am trying to figure out the truth. And I think you have something to hide. And he reveals that he's been taking notes on a little notebook. He thinks his her behavior has changed recently. And he asks her, who exactly are you? And nice. so what follows is Goto's attempts to figure that out. Mm -hmm. This was the first that was the I mean, it's the, it's his first scene is his prologue. But like that was the first moment I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy's actually kind of cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, the vibes, the vibes. So somehow he finds himself in the destroyed city of 2065, I guess, back there gathering data. And um, he stumbles across an unconscious Iori Fuyasaka. If you recall, she was accidentally shifted there from the science room in one of her scenes um, and found Aseki Gahara there. And then like, I don't know, a remote sentinel showed up, I think. And she was like knocked unconscious. Mm -hmm. So Goto finds her and he's like, oh, how convenient. And takes her to the UFO mainframe so that he can use her biometric ID to access Morimura's logs. Mm -hmm. So this is where he unlocks, I think, basically all of the logs that he'll reference. But among them are, I think, a few ones that I wanted to highlight here. 
First, there's one from March 2nd, 2100. It's a log about how Morimura wanted to do an experiment to figure out if she could become compatible again. As we know, like this Morimura is just data from Sector Zero. So like that's not possible. Mm hmm. But she was trying. And so she to do that, she created a clone of herself um, and uploaded memories from her memories from Sector Zero. But it didn't work. This little like and it was an infant at the time. This infant clone was not compatible. So she was like, all right, I'm just going to seal those memories away and I'm going to leave this child in the 1940s with the Miura family. Yeah. So she can just grow up and be a person. Just a baby. Yeah. Just a baby. Um, And she kept this very, very secret, even from Ida. Then we see her final log, presumably after the Sentinel infection incident. Um, she thinks Ida is dead. Uh, the remaining Sentinels are infected. And she's like, well, I guess we have to resort to Operation Aegis. She says, risking the future of humanity itself. But I don't know how else he and I can survive this. And Goto wonders, who is he? Mm-hmm. Goto then finds another log recorded under his own name. And who pops up on the screen but Gary Oldman, <gasps> beloved actor. Uh, and Goto realizes, oh, that's that's me, me in the future, I think, yeah. maybe. Hmm? <laughs> and this is uh, Goto's side of the conversation with A when he basically orders the hit on mm-hmm. 2188 Morimura. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, there are more, a lot more logs that we will yeah. get to uh, as the story unfolds. Yeah. I... So, so, you know, like we are chopping and screwing this, but we come back to the UFO a couple of times and mm-hmm. it's not until like this, I think it's the, the, the final time we come back to, the, to the, the UFO. We like, you know, we saw him over on the, you know, the one side messing with the computers mm-hmm. and stuff. And then it kind of faded to black. And then he like was like watching a log. And then at one point we, we see him, you know, messing around the computer and he just, the, the camera pans a little to the left and Iori is just passed out on the ground. Yeah. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, yeah, we see this scene a few times before it is revealed that like he had Iori's body there. <laughs> just there. She's just there, passed out. Yeah. So then uh uh we'll go ahead to uh when baby Chihiro shows up. So <laughs> we know that Goto, you know, he kidnaps the child Chihiro from the Miras mm-hmm. in 1945 after the uh during the Sentinel attack, and she is the clone of Chihiro Murimura that you know we had just talked about um Mm -hmm. whose memories didn't work uh and he unseals her memories which is why she starts talking like a full adult um because those that that was it so it's kind of nice to know that like she wasn't pretending with mira the whole time like she actually thought that yeah that actually yeah there's 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 kind of two sides of this coin where it's like okay so like she had a genuine relationship with her brother Mm -hmm. but that also means that she was fully just a child and had the mind of a child and the memories of a child and the life of a child when Goto unceremoniously <laughs> kidnapped her from the 40s. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so pretty rancid. That is what I that is what I mean <laughs> when I say he has done some stinky Look, you, you shit. Gotta, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Sometimes that means so. stealing a kid to turn her into an adult. Um, yeah. So, then, uh, so then we head to the, the destroyed city of 2025. 
with Goto and Baby Chihiro, um, you know, who has her memories back. And they've just been they've been hiding out there for a few days. And she's like, did you really have to dress me like a fucking like kindergartner? And he's like, oh, I thought it would be inconspicuous. You know, you'll just look look like a regular little kid. Uh, and he keeps calling her Ms. Morimura. And she's like, I'm in a baby body. So you should probably just call me like Chihiro. Yeah, it's like, like okay, if we're trying Chihiro, to be uh, inconspicuous, you yeah. have to stop like using honorifics. Right, <laughs> right. And so then, you know, uh, uh, she asks how he, how he found her. And he says that he found her with the help of uh, a data log that revealed that her mind was transferred to the baby body, <laughs> uh, the baby body. And she says that that body is just like a full clone of her. Like that is this mm-hmm. is a, a, a she'll you know, when this baby grows up, she will just be a full Chihiro Morimura. Yeah, um, we can probably and, skip all of this. Yeah, it's redundant. it's basically the same stuff she talked about um, of being, you know, created as part of an experiment um, to, quote, restore her compatibility. Uh, and then the memories were sealed. So so Goto says uh, that Morimura's actual body as an adult Morimura is acting like a completely different person. So he thinks that someone has taken control of her and that they seem to be working against the Sentinel Project. Uh, so he thinks, <laughs> I love this bluff here. I mm-hmm. think this is so good. He's like, I think 426 has made his way into Morimura to to mm-hmm. put her against the Sentinel Project. And then he just like, all right, we'll sit down. I'll catch you up on the last five years of things that have happened. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so then we head to the, uh, the Kade River in 1985 when baby Morimura and Goto return. Uh, he's got them an apartment uh, to stay inconspicuous at. Yeah, so... I included in here some other events that like don't actually happen in Goto's story, but, but it's, it's like this is where Goto was or like scenes that included Goto. Yeah. Um, just to sort of like place us in time. Yeah. So so after this Kaede River scene, we have the scene from Miura's story where he runs into baby Morimura and Goto like and that whole thing happens. Um, and where the reveal of <laughs> a Sekigahara is trying to kill <laughs> Morimura, uh, Kim is written in context, truly wild that he would reveal this year. Why did is, he do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. yeah, it's very weird. It just seems like Goto was trying whatever he could to get Miura to just like buzz off. Yeah. And he's like, look, yeah, someone's trying probably. to kill your daughter. So or, your daughter, someone's trying to kill your sister. So like, get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, so that's just kind of placing us, you know, temporally. And then we head to the underground facility in 2105 where Natsuno and BJ spot Goto and baby Chihiro at the facility when they're just like mm-hmm. hiding in the hallway. Um, yeah. And that sort of ends with Goto being like, hey, do you want to go to the the underground mainframe? Yeah. And Chihiro's like, yes. yes. Yeah. So now we see them do that. <laughs> yeah. So we do. Um, and in, in 2025, they are, you know, they're there. And baby Chihiro thinks that she would be able to get rid of the decode um, because because she has senior level access privileges, which is a wild. This is where things mm-hmm. kind of start getting a bit, a bit wilder. Yeah. And Goto's like, he, he's very, he's, uh, he's wondering why Ms. Morimura uh, pushed for Operation Aegis if this was an option all along. And so it's kind of like planting these seeds of like, maybe they're mm-hmm. different. Um, and Baby Chihiro says that Ms. Morimura is being controlled or could be trying to save herself. But Goto still doesn't think that that's exactly what's going on. So they talk here about how Sector 3's mainframe was too damaged in the attack to be able to do anything. Excuse me. Um, and she says, I'll have to send direct instructions to the command ship, the mothership in orbit, but that the comms are off. Uh, and so it has to be, you know, beyond the horizon. So 
this is something that we've heard before <laughs> of the, the, you know, the 14 hour inaccessibility window for this uh, mm-hmm. satellite. Uh, but the comms will be back in 35 minutes. So they caught it at a good time, I guess. I I think I I made some cuts to this this morning and I realized I cut out some important info. So she sure. she's like, oh, she'll be, you know, it, it'll be back over the horizon in 35 minutes, but we don't have that kind of time. So she like oh. does it another way. Yes. OK. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and that'll be important later. Right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she says that this will solve the problem at its core, but that she can't stop any commands that were already issued. So basically, the Dimos will stop being created, but mm-hmm. she can't stop them from, like, what yeah, they've the already Yeah, the ones that created. exist are going to attack. Right, right. Yeah. And so then we will move to the actual murder of Chihiro Morimura. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have seen from A's perspective that uh, we know it was baby Morimura, <laughs> yeah, baby Morimura that killed adult Morimura. Uh, so after Morimura's death uh, in 1985, we're at the Shikishima building. Shikishima is like completely in in chaos. Uh, they won't allow Goto to spearhead the Sentinel project, uh, and so he gets in a cab. Uh, he actually hails a cab, which is a wild yeah. thing to have to do in this game. Um, yeah, it was. I don't know why that felt so strange for him to like hail a cab and get in a cab. I was like, this feels so adult. It's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's like one of the few things that like sets us in in like we're in 1985. Like you know, mm-hmm. uh, a having to dial into the message service like sets us in 1985 iori having to like call her dad on the payphone like that yeah. kind of sets us in the timeline i kind of wish there was more stuff throughout the the game that did that of like yeah me too kind of like when we're in different times i mean i know that 2025 is destroyed and stuff mm-hmm. like that but like you know i i um outside of just like the general look of a place i i think it could have been really interesting to have more just like small moments like that yeah um, I would have given up a couple of those press A to shoot moments for like press A to <laughs> hail cab or like press A to read newspaper or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so then we head to Ami Park in the cab. Goto meets up with baby Chihiro and confirms that adult Morimura is dead and shares what he shares with her what he learned uh, from the police. And it's basically just that she was witnessed running off. Sorry, adult Morimura was witnessed running off mm-hmm. somewhere with a short haired student who Goto correctly assumes is a Sekigahara. Shigishima had a drone tracking Morimura uh but it didn't see the murder for some reason and she <laughs> she hears like oh i mean a had some fucked up stuff with his memory so maybe he did it and just forgot i don't know who's who's to say um mm-hmm. and goto's like well that doesn't really make sense for him to lure her out into the streets where they could be seen and he's not really mm-hmm. the kind of guy to kill on impulse and hey goto i don't know i think maybe maybe he is kind of the guy to he kill might on be impulse. yeah <laughs> i think he's maybe driven a little bit by impulse <laughs> the pro- he's he's whipping that gun out like at <laughs> every true. opportunity yeah, that's basically like a, a wave hello from a is to him point his <laughs> phaser at you have um, you seen my gun <laughs> so Chihiro's like, oh, okay, well, maybe it was 426. Uh, he has killed before. He's killed four people before. And Goto thinks about the four victims. And uh, aside from Morimura and Ida, four others uh, came to 1985 for refuge 16 years ago. But by the time that Goto got involved, they'd already lost their physical bodies. And according to Ida, that was 426's doing. Is that So he used the data that was stored in Sector Zero to meld their consciousnesses with AI. And then Goto has a moment where he thinks back to the pilot of Sentinel-16, uh, who said that none of that is true. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, that's so so 16 is the Tomy AI in a in a mm-hmm. robot, I guess. Yeah, Miyuki and Abba, that's already been revealed. I, I just had to remember where we yeah. were in terms of context. So all of this stuff is just like, you know, Chihiro's just saying stuff and Goto, you know, opens his little book and is like, none of this is fucking that, true. That's you not liar. true. Um, yeah, well, he's he's like, oh, you know, I'm surprised you don't remember. Yeah. 
that Sentinel-16 told you this isn't true. Um, <laughs> and I assume really that good. this... It is good. Um, and I assume that this scene is like surveillance footage that he saw, but we don't ever actually see like where he got this from. Mm. So this is footage from the underground lab. It's mid-skip Ida, Catsuit Morimura, and uh, half-droid Tomi before her body's been taken over by 426. What a wild sentence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> all these, all these, uh, <laughs> these, these prefixes to it. <laughs> To yeah. elaborate on who we're talking about. So uh, the Tomy droid tells Morimura sort of what happened. And this is, I guess, one loop previous. She says, uh, our defensive maneuvers failed. So we decided to stick to the plan and headed to the gate to escape. But there was an explosion while we were shifting. And that's the last thing I remember. So Morimura is like, so you weren't killed by 426. It was just an explosion that was just like an accident. God, you were all dead before the shift even <sighs> happened. So Chihiro rounds on Ida and she's like, you said that 426 killed them. Why did you lie? And he's like, listen, if like if we had left him alive, he would have tried to kill us all again anyway. So, you know, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. Essentially, it's a good thing that you killed him. It was the right call. And she is horrified and feels her fucking guilty. rancid, rancid, yeah. rancid. God, yeah. I was like um, <laughs> screaming at this yeah. moment. I was like, you fucking shithead. So the thing God. that I don't understand about this is like it, the event of him killing people. Was that him shooting like Tommy and Megumi? And so that's a false memory. No. So 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 that did happen. Okay, that's what I thought. And then now they're talking about the 2065 shit that went wrong, I think. Because after that, that's when uh, Morimura actually kills Juro. No? No, because this is... We have mid-skip Ida here, which means it's Ida from a previous loop. Right. So I guess this is like... These were the... the she's describing events of two loops ago. When did she in, kill him? I think this is a, that's a separate event. So, okay, it's the event is a relentless nightmare. One loop ago, Sector 2, 2065. Yeah, yeah. But that's. Oh, yeah. But yeah, how could that be it? Right. Because Because, if you go on the magic gun uh, mystery file, uh, the magical gun is identical to the one used by the woman who looks like Iori Fuyasaka at the end of Jiro Karabe's dream in which he killed everyone. So that's different. She didn't kill him oh. there. She killed him on the bridge. On the bridge, right. But I don't remember what happened before that. I can't remember what led. And that's, I think that's. Bridge standoff. A memory. Jerusalem, the have a standoff on Samiri Bridge, pleading for her to let him pass. He reminds her of their relationship, but she cannot forgive him for the murder scene in the world. What number is that? Uh, 19. Oh, okay. Sector 1, 2097. Yeah, so I guess I. I guess she was just hoping he would give up after that. And he didn't. Man, I don't know. Yeah, the, I think the it's Juro Izumi Chihiro Moriyamura stuff, I think, is the stuff that I am most confused about still. Yeah. There is a destroyed city scene from one loop ago where uh, Moriyamura sends Shu back. Right. The Sentinel. And that's... Which that is that is definitely right after. The scene where he yes. shoot, where Izumi shoots everyone. Yeah, so I think, and I feel like that's this. Yes, that's this Ida. Ida. Yes, yeah. So I think maybe they're thinking that Izumi had something to do with that, and that was why she actually killed him. Killed him. It just seems weird that she didn't kill him 
after he mm-hmm. shot the kids. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that's the only gun that she had. I guess so. But, but yeah, so it's, I guess, I guess unclear the exact event that they're talking about, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it is specifically that. I think that's why, yeah. I think that's why Ida was like, yeah, you should kill him. He did this to get right. back at Izumi for killing Tomi. But I don't know exactly like what event he manipulated Morimura into thinking 426 was behind, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it presumably wouldn't have been that one because she was there. She saw it. Right. I, 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 I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe it's. Maybe she didn't see him shoot everyone else. She just showed up, saw the dead kids, Ida down. Mm. Yeah. And mm. a bunch of like dead. But another thing, a question I have is who were the four? I know Tomi and Tamau, and I guess Megumi, because she was there. Mm-hmm. Who's the other one? Iori? Because it was Iori in that scene, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it was the... I don't know. This is all so confusing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're back after that flashback. Uh, we're back in Ayame Park with Goto and baby Chihiro. Yes. And Goto asks whether Chihiro had feelings for 426. And she was like, well, he was a friend once upon a time. <laughs> and um, he's like, you know, number 18... Tamao-san told me that that's not true. And so he he references back to um, the scene we saw where Tamao is like, hey, she has feelings for 426 and she's trying to put his memories into Juro <laughs> Karabe. Yes. And uh, explains, you know, that Ida's account of how the four victims died is incorrect um, and, you know, reveals that scene. Um, she says... The Morimura who tried to implant 426's memories in Juro was mind hacked. She's like, you said yourself, she was mind hacked. Um, I, you know, and she's like, I couldn't possibly have feelings for 426. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like, yes, yeah. My theory about Morimura being mind hacked was actually based on a log from 2188 and she was so disturbed by the fact that I found it that she deleted all of her logs after she found out. So we get a, a, a flashback to that log. Mm-hmm. It is a transmission log to Renya Goto from uh, 2188 Tetsuya Ida. Uh, he says he doesn't know why he's recording this because no one will hear it, but he he has no one else to share it with. Um, he noticed that the part that part of the final phase was altered to trigger a memory overwrite on Chihiro Morimura's host and the modifying user was Juro Izumi. <gasps> he says at least now I have proof you're all hypocrites anyway. None of this matters. We're all dead anyway. More on that later. <laughs> so after this semi-cryptic very edgy angry mm-hmm. <laughs> um, log we we go back to uh, my park uh and goto says all this time i believed you were her but even from the beginning you were your own person uh and he's basically like hey, you're not miss morimura the teacher you're professor chihiro morimura from the year 2188 the <gasps> central figure of interstellar development uh, of the interstellar development project. So this is where the like the sector mm-hmm. zero backup stuff becomes very uh, like yeah. front and center of like 
and also how little that uh, Ms. Morimura actually knows about what's going right, on. Right. So uh, Chihiro points out that if she's Professor Morimura, then, then why did Miss Morimura create her? Uh, and Goto says uh, basically what I just started to imply is that she thought that she was putting her data in baby Chihiro, uh, mm-hmm. but it was actually the professor's data from Sector Zero. And so, she, you know, since baby Chihiro was a baby, she wasn't able mm-hmm. to be like, hello, I am Professor Chihiro Morimura. Yeah. She just said, when well, I am a baby. Uh, and when <laughs> and when Ms. Morimura tried to, I don't know, do whatever she needed to do to see if she was compatible, mm-hmm. it didn't work. And she said, OK, I guess this is just a fluke. Uh, bummer. Um, but that's yeah. just not the case. Professor Morimura just doesn't isn't just isn't compatible. Yeah, he he said something that really struck me too. Just like you must have been horrified when you like gained consciousness basically mm. and realized you were in the body of a baby. And I was like, <laughs> that is like a truly horrifying yeah. uh concept. Wake up in a three year old. Jesus Christ. Or five year old, yeah. I guess. Um yeah. uh, well even in like when she was in an infant before her memories. Oh were yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Like, help, why am I stuck here? Yeah, um, it's very scary. Yeah, dude. Um, so then uh, Goto recalls another log that he saw of uh, Oldman Goto. And he thinks he is a clone of that Goto. And he says that every individual I saw in that log footage created clones of themselves. So that's why he thinks he is another one of those clones. So thinking back to that transition or that transmission, uh, it is a log from Professor Takamiya to Professor Morimura. They talk about self-replicating probes uh, that says they'll, they'll basically just keep building up and breaking down infinitely uh, as they just like, you know, float through space to whatever target. And, and uh, Yuki says that there's basically a zero chance of the tech failing midway through. So it's just like that is how we've gotten here is that there is what five reference cubes or whatever and they would all constantly reference off of each other and if one of them was wrong then they would try and fix it and if they couldn't fix it then they would just leave it behind and there's still four reference cubes you know whatever <laughs> i've just talked ahead of the note that, <laughs> that you wrote uh so yeah they're, they're called memory cubes which is interesting but i guess that also you know it, it talks to or speaks to the scene where bj is talking about how you know all of these memories and mm-hmm. stuff are 3d objects yeah, because um, they literally are 3D objects. So each of these cubes has the DNA of all of the survivors, uh, which will be used to create the clone. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's not just the 15, is it? Or is it just the 15? So we find out later that there is like more genetic information yeah. on the cubes, but it seems like for purposes of rebuilding, it is just the 15 who okay. are going to be cloned. OK, OK. Um, so then, uh, this log ends with, uh, Takamiya asking what to do about him, quote unquote, uh, and what they learned from that DNA test. Uh, Morimura says nothing. What could I even say to him? Uh, so then we go back to Iron Park. Ah, so Goto, after recalling that log says there were 15 survivors, uh, each created a clone established to be compatible. And each of those clones grew up in a different era or world and it was Professor Mori Mora's plan to replace her clone's memories with her own. He's like, oh, you must be wondering how much of that log I've seen. <laughs> um, and so he's like, you know, Sukasa Okino, one of the survivors. I wonder who he was in 2188. <laughs> Your son, perhaps? perhaps. <laughs> um, so we find out that apparently there were policies on population control during this time that... Uh, it sounds like 
the way that this would go was people would donate eggs. She's, she donated her eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably there were also sperm donors, um, that were just like used to create babies instead of people like having their own reproductive freedom. So he's like, I know Iori Fuyusaka's the compatible version of, of Chihiro Morimura in this loop. And, uh, the compatible versions of Morimura and Ida were actually supposed to be in different eras. I think they were, I want to say she's from sector one. I forget where he is from. Maybe also sector one. Uh, in any event, uh, they both took their newborn selves and placed them in 1985 instead. And I think my understanding is in both cases, the idea was we're going to upload ourselves right. into these, these 1985 versions and that's why they're doing the nanomachine therapy and all that so he's like i still want to know the truth of why all this is happening but i think you probably won't tell me (laughs) and the reason why is because uh she's trying to eliminate him and the other compatible in this time he says from the very beginning you never intended for this world to survive and so uh in support of this argument he (laughs) references a 2188 log of 2188 Renya Goto talking to an AI of Kengo Ogata. This is the former chairman of Shikishima. For some reason, he uh, sounds like Fluffy. I don't know why. I don't think it has anything to do with anything. It's just the voice they use for something that sounds evil. Yeah, it's just villain voice. Yeah. Yeah. So it is revealed, I forget which one of them says it, but um, <clears throat> that Professor Morimura on Kengo Ogata's orders sold nano machines on the black market to raise funds for Project Arc for the purpose of giving Kengo Ogata a second chance at life. Goto reveals to him that Morimura is, or to the Kengo Ogata AI, that <laughs> Morimura is dead. And Kengo says that's humanity self-destructive to the very end. <laughs> So the arc has already set off and Goto thinks, um, I refuse to let an AI control the future of humanity. And he says, out of the survivors, the ones who have clearance. And it's not entirely clear to me what this means, but I'm wondering, is it implying that like he's trying to figure out who can sabotage Project Arc? And we know that Shinonome is the one who ultimately does it. Mm-hmm. Is that? Oh, wait. Did Goto or no? Was Izumi dead by now? I was going to say, was it did he have Izumi upload Morimura to try and like prevent this from happening? But Uh, no, that wouldn't make sense because that's what Morimura wants. And B, this takes place after the Ida log, which says that Izumi overwrote Morimura's memories. This happens after that. Yeah. Hmm. So I think I, I think the implication is that maybe Shinonome sabotages Project Arc in part because Goto, Goto allows her to. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I just here's the thing. I don't understand why this is in here. I it's don't very like, we strange. never we never see this AI again. Yeah. He never does anything as far no. as I'm aware. Yeah, it's that's that's very weird. I think really all it is is like Morimura needed a second benefactor or whatever and Kengo Ogata was there. I I I don't know. She could have just done it herself. Like, I don't know. It just feels like an unnecessary like confusion of the plot where like she could have just like done all of this on her own. 
because she felt very strongly about Project Dark and wanted to preserve it and because she wanted to live or, you know, felt like she needed to. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but she needed what well, she would still need the money, though. Yes. You know. So she would sell the the nanomachines on the black market herself, oh, not on, oh, oh. you know, not on his orders, but because she's desperate for funding. Hmm. You know, it's like, why is this in here anyway? Because it just never seems to come up again other than yeah. the justification for like why she's doing this. But there are plenty of other reasons why she would be doing this. Yeah. That don't have anything to do with a random AI. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think that this is one of those plot beats that's uh, better if you think about it less. <laughs> be better if it wasn't here. You no, know, I agree. Yeah, it's it's unnecessarily like obtuse or or just like yeah. really weirdly like roundabout. But moving on, back at the park again, uh, Goto tells uh, Professor Morimura that the kaiju are a threat to the original plan or to her original plan. Um, but says so is Operation Aegis since it prevents any further loops and makes the uh, reset impossible. And I just just a note on loops. It just means destroying the, all of the mainframes uh, and so that the timeline can be reset. Um, so that is what the, the Dymos are doing. So Goto recalls when they went to the underground UFO and she fixed the decode. And since she did that, it means that she can start the loop new or start a new loop and revert to back to the original plan. So Goto accuses uh, Professor Chihiro of murdering Ms. Morimura to prevent Operation Aegis, that she was the lead on Project Arc under Kengo Ogata, but he died. And after his death, she created an AI to just created an AI and was being controlled by him. Um, so and then it's just it's it's yeah, it's a lot. So 2188 Morimura mm-hmm. <laughs> said it so that once her clone, the baby, mm-hmm. uh, turned 18, that it would, or sorry, no, sorry, not not the clone. It, just her compatible just her, her version. Compatible I think. version, yeah. Her yeah. like Fiori Fuyusaka, quote unquote. Yeah. Once that clone turned eighteen, it would download Professor Morimura's memories, so that we wouldn't have a <laughs> Professor Morimura in a baby body situation. Which, oops, yeah, that's what happened. Her intention was to help save humanity, but also to bring Kengo back to life by doing the same thing to Nenji's body with Kengo's mm-hmm. mind. Okay. <laughs> Rancid. Kim has written in the notes here over my dead body. <laughs> How dare you even dream of replacing Nenji Okato, yeah. the perfect man? Yeah. Uh, so then Baby Morimura finally uh, lets off the veneer of like, I don't know what's going on, and decides that Goto knows too much and pulls a gun. But she can't shoot Goto uh, because he had acquired it for her and configured, configured it so neither of them can be shot with it. And I think she thought that he made it so that she couldn't shoot him with it. And he's like, no, I made it so neither of us could get shot. It was much nicer than, your, <laughs> than what you thought. And then uh, uh, Goto takes the gun and is like, one interesting thing about this gun, though, is that it does have records of its <laughs> latest mm-hmm. discharge. Uh, and so he just he, you know, cross references the the last discharge with his notes of, you know, who yeah. killed uh, uh, Ms. Morimura and realizes that you know, or confirms, I guess, that it was indeed mm-hmm. baby Chihiro who killed uh, Ms. Morimura, the nurse. Uh, and Chihiro asks, you know, oh, like, what gave me away? Uh, and Goto says, it's when Miura found her in Anami Park. Uh, she described Miura as an excellent design engineer, uh, but that was the Miura of 2188, not the Miura of this world. And he learned that <laughs> through Miura in Sentinel-17, the AI Miura in Sentinel-17. So that is not a scene we ever no, see. No, we though. don't see. It. There's <laughs> scenes here that are like 
just weirdly missing. Um, yeah. I'm still constantly thinking about that. We didn't get a scene between Mira and BJ where BJ explains like, look, I'm going to lose all my memories. So you're going to have to take care of not yeah. to know. Like, why didn't we get that scene? I don't know. <laughs> like, come on. So then Morimura asks, like, asks Goto, you know, are you going to get revenge on me? And he says, no, he's not going to give up or he's not going to give in to his emotional impulse. He would rather get the truth. The first instance of somebody thinking rationally in this game uh, for a good reason. He says that she was lying about not being in love with Izumi because Izumi and Morimura were in an intimate relationship, quote unquote, in 2188. The original Morimura died before she could set up the memory transplant. So that is why Izumi uh, did what he did to help carry out Morimura's vision. He did it for love. For love. (laughs) So then uh, he asks why she is so intent on transplanting her memories. And she says that there has to be a leader without someone to guide them. Teams dissolve into fear, spite, resentment. It would be the colony all over again, which kind of has a point, I guess. Yeah, but also, no, it's true. She was the leader of the colony in a way. So like, why would you put yourself yeah. back in charge of the colony that you failed? Yeah. But also, you know, A was there and Goto and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. anyway, so he says, uh, he tells her that her devotion is almost inspiring uh, and proposes a bet. Uh, says they won't seal all the terminals. They'll keep one open so that she can still loop. But he asks for the opportunity to fight the war without any sabotage if they fail she can reset the entire thing and start another loop but if they win he and the others will be the ones to restart humanity Uh, she says they don't stand a chance uh, and takes the bet and he says we will see about that it's good it's very good it's good good. (laughs) Um, yeah um and we see i think goto is basically stepping up to be the leader that she's like there needs to be a leader and he's like all right i'll be the fucking leader (laughs) and he is and he's very good at it yeah um and yeah like he did some real awful shit to get here but at the same time i don't know i enjoy his story i uh i like it a lot yeah it was really great to have someone who kind of knew what they were doing (laughs) you know and they weren't fumbling around the whole time being like what is my place in this world it was like goto knowing his place in the world and his place in the world is to call everybody else out on the things that they're doing yeah he like i don't know i kept thinking like he is Benoit Blanc and it yes it's Uh, truly good hundred percent so yeah very fun so that's I mean that's not so a lot of what follows during when we get to the battle in the chronology Mm -hmm. is also part of Renya Goto's story but first in the chronology before we get there we have Hijiyama's last scene I won't let you be alone. Um, and I, I double checked in the in analysis. This does all happen after the Goto Chihiro confrontation in Ayame Park and before the final battle. So that's why I have put it here. <laughs> OK, sounds good. Um, so we start out in the Sector 3 underground UFO. Hijiyama and Okino uh, shift in. Okino is waiting for the command ship to come back into comms range, which should take about an hour. In the meantime, Hijiyama's like, okay, so like explain to me, like, what do we know and how is this going to help us save the world? And so Okino says, remember last time we were here, I explained the interlocutor connects to three main points, one which is this command ship. Um, That's where it gets the data, the Dimos, and then manufactures it in sector one. And that is essentially what the decode is, is 
making happen. Mm. I, uh, and he's like, I think I also know why people disappear when the kaiju attack. But I like I want her to be the one to explain it to you. He's we know he's referring to uh, number 16, Miyuki mm. Inaba slash mm. Tomi Hisuragi. Um, <laughs> but uh, androids start coming in and Okino for some reason is able to just go stop and they will like stop like temporarily he's like oh i triggered the voice recognition but like they'll keep advancing soon it's because he has the that high level clearance i guess that professor it just it feels very contrived sure (laughs) um (laughs) so anyway um like they more of them keep coming in and advancing so okino's like all right maybe we should just get out of here but in an echo of a scene we've seen previously for some reason he cannot do that from the terminal that is underneath the shifter he has to do it on a terminal that's like a few yards away i think at one point somebody says 426 messed with it so they so that it wouldn't wouldn't do that i feel like i vaguely remember that exchange happening but I could be interesting. Wrong. Anyway, whatever the case may be, for plot reasons, Okino yeah. is left behind and shifts uh, Hijiyama alone. So Hijiyama appears back in 1985 and he's like, oh, my God, I need to get back there. I need to save Okino. So he starts thinking about, like, who could help me? A knows knows something about time travel. Miura knows about time travel and Morimura knows about time travel. And so now we get a very infuriating scene where we have to go on a wild fucking goose chase for all of them. I found this very annoying. Um, It felt once again like we were just spinning our wheels and they're trying to like gamify the visual novel um, in a way that I I just don't think it needs because it's not actually fun and on top of that they are playing the like scary android music over this entire scene and that music is fun is and exciting for a few seconds when an android attacks and not that fun and exciting (laughs) when it is playing for like many minutes man at a time it is very annoying. I, had a, I was not pleased during this scene. <laughs> I had a totally different experience with this scene because I oh. I guessed Morimura first. Or sorry, I guessed Miura first. Oh um, yeah. So they were like, oh yeah, he's probably by the track the track thing. So my thing just went right along. I didn't have to do all the like rigmarole nice. of, of them saying like, yeah. oh A's not here and or I don't know A and Miura's not here. Morimura's not here. Jesus Christ. But yeah, yeah I, I they're like, it. oh, Morimura went home for the day, which is interesting. Morimura is dead. So like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure she's dead by now because, uh-huh. yeah, this is after Ayami Park. Uh-huh. And she's like, I, anytime he asks about A, he's like, oh, have you seen like a, a strange student who kind of like seems like he wants to fight everybody? <laughs> and then they're like, you mean you? So that doesn't work. Anyway, so yeah, he basically the, his only option is Morimura or is Miura. These names, um, dude. And they're like. Yeah. So a girl in the schoolyard is like, go to the break area and talk to one of our track members. So you go to the break area and talk to the track member. You ask her all the questions. And she's like, oh, Mira, you mean Natsuno's boyfriend? Uh, I think I saw him around the old school building. So you go to the... You go out of the old school building, but on the way, you got to go on that walkway. And while you're there, you pause <laughs> to reminisce about Okino. Mm-hmm. Hijiyama remembers Okino giving him a letter um, and so unnecessary. But here we are. Okino's like, oh, I 
really like you. And it's like, ha just kidding. Um, but, you know, it seemed to get to you when I confessed to Ogata. So I thought you might be feeling left out. And Hijiyama's like, you thought it would make me happy for a man to confess to me. And I'm just so tired of this. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Hijiyama just keeps running. OK. <laughs> Remember that time my almost boyfriend nagged me? Wow. Anyway, I should get back to trying to save his life. Um, At the old building, he runs into Natsuno and out pops BJ. BJ was looking for Hijiyama. Let me take, he says, let me take you to Okino's location. He's been wounded by androids. His condition is critical. And Hijiyama's like, how did you know to find me? And he's like, Miyuki Inaba used TV broadcasts to inform me that Okino needs help. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which I I love because like BJ does BJ just like get does he have you know he gets satellite TV yeah. like no <laughs> I want to imagine that he and Not Snow after school are sitting together watching cartoons oh and God. suddenly Miyuki Inaba is there. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's good. BJ's like <laughs> BJ goes Natsuno, He will need it, and Natsuno pulls out a gun. <laughs> Someone gave Natsuno a gun. Um, BJ's like, oh, I extracted this from a Shikishima lab. Uh, Like, where is all this coming from? Whatever. They got it from Um, 2105 or whatever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So he (laughs) Natsuno's like, okay, here's the gun. And BJ's like, Natsuno, you got to stay behind. (laughs) Um, And thankfully she listens. So we're back in the Sector 3 UFO. BJ and Hijiyama shift in. Okino is on the ground. He's surrounded by androids and you have to shoot them. Press A to shoot, except you have to wait for them to get like so close, like point blank range (laughs) and they're just like step step i'm like can we move this along please i have places to be yeah so finally you shoot them and hijiyama goes over and cradles okino in his arms and okino's like read my letter and then (laughs) physically fades away Uh disappears And BJ says, uh, universal control has isolated him. Just like Tamao Karabe. Yes. So we now cut to the final battle. Hijiyama uh, is sort of, I think he's like standing on like the Kaede River Mm -hmm. bridge Yeah, I think it's the river. Um, And he thinks, Okino, you don't have much of a knack for love letters. And um, you can think about the letter and it's it was just instructions for how (laughs) to access Okino's Sentinel. uh, Number 12, which he hid in the ocean in Sector 5. He left an activation switch on Hijiyama's arm. Um, So Hijiyama thinks if you really are alive, if you're out there somewhere, then you're going to need a home to return to. It'd be a shame if it was gone. So I'll fight to my last breath to to save it. That's all the reason I need. And he activates the Sentinel. And then rather than just fading, fading out um, the scene ending, we actually see Hijiyama in the Sentinel underwater and he gets a transmission from Okino. Um, And Okino says, I can only because we shared the Sentinel, I can only talk to you. I can't talk to anyone else. And I'm now like cut off from the world. I am alive. Um, Mm -hmm. And he says, I know what was using up the remaining 80% of the interlocutor's memory. Because last time we talked about how the decode only uses 20%. So -hmm. like, what is what's the rest of it doing? Uh, He says it's sensory data. It makes everything we perceived in that world real. Kim was right. Congratulations. I was right. It was a virtual reality. Um, 
He says the five sectors are not reality. Besides the 15 of us, every human we've ever known was created by uh, universal control. Mm -hmm. Um, That world is a simulation. The cockpits that they're in are the real world. And Okini was like, my Sentinel designs never had cockpits at all um, because it would be too dangerous. (laughs) Like, why the fuck would you put yourself in a (laughs) 90 ton robot? Are you stupid? Yeah. He's like, and what we think of as cockpits, these are actually growth pods and we were born in them. So quick question about this. Do you think, yeah. <laughs> do you think if somebody was standing in the room where the growth pods are, when they're fighting the battles, they just hear them screaming like, probably. Yeah. Cause they're scr- apparently like physically conscious right. while that's happening. <laughs> um, I also realized as I wrote this, that's why at the beginning of like in the early destruction sequences Mm. they're like oh my god i'm in so much pain from being in this thing like oh this is you know this really hurts physically it's because they're experiencing like literal growing pains it's their first time being in their physical bodies yeah yeah. and it's uncomfortable (laughs) so Anyway, Okino explains if the Daimos destroy the world, they will die in these pods. Um, And Hijian was like, oh, fat chance of you dying. You're shameless, shrewd and infuriating. People like you don't die so easily. Romance. Um, Says no matter what, my duty is the same. I live in service of my country and the people I love. And Okino says, Hijiyama-kun. And Hijiyama says, I will not let you die. And Okino responds, no matter how this ends, I will always be with you. AJ and I have uh, been debating whether this constitutes Hijiyama admitting his feelings. And you could read it that way. But as AJ points out, saying that, like, you are among the people I love is not admitting to romantic feelings. (laughs) So, yeah. So anyway, we are now heading into the the final battle and um, actually seeing the chronology of kind of what happens. Yeah. So we start at the beginning of judgment, the Judgment Day battle. Goto's in his Sentinel giving orders to everybody. It says that he hasn't hit his operating limit yet, but uh, he's going to dismount. And this is actually a scene that we saw in Area 1, way back when, Area 1, Wave 5, mm-hmm. uh, after the boss battle. Shu worries about uh, Goto being gone, and Yuki chimes in, pull it together, we don't need orders to kick some ass. And then we finally get to see her summon her Sentinel, and it's great. Mm-hmm. And she says, you can relax, kids. I'm back in the fight. I love her so much. Incredible. Marry me. Please. please. So then after the Aegis activation, or after an Aegis activation, Goto finds baby Chihiro on the streets. It's it's very interesting. Chihiro is looking out on the sunset and basically says Mm -hmm. the same thing that Miura says of like, no matter where I am, the sunset always looks the same. Um, Yeah. Which I thought was honestly really nice. In context of it's like, good I am still like I did grow up as Mira's baby sister for five years. Yeah, like, ugh. if there's one thing we know about the Mira family, it's that they love they sunsets. Love sunsets. Um, so Goto says that he's been monitoring her with a drone, so that's how he found her. Um, says that the Daimos are coming back and that she should seek shelter, and she tells him to mind his business. Uh, and she says, this is what I wanted anyway, uh, that there are no safe places left. He's just wasting his time. He says, fine, he'll go. And then at right before he leaves, he says, it's safer near the river. So you should go over there. Yeah. And before he runs away, Chihiro stops him to ask him a question. And she says, you were in love with Ms. Morimura, weren't you? You said she was mind hacked, but it was more about you being jealous, wasn't it? Uh, and he admits that she is right. Says, is that what you wanted to hear? That I was driven by some cheap, naive impulse that I can't 
think about anything else? Or she says, uh, and that's why you brought back my memory too, right? You just wanted her back. And he says, so much. She says, you are a slave to your desires. That's the Renya Goto I remember. I'm glad. It means I don't have to like you after all. This is the stinkiest part of Renya Goto to me is the notion that in order to get back the woman he loved, he kidnapped a child and restored what he thought Come were her on, memories it's into just her. a little kidnapping and kidnapping personality hijacking. And it's fine. Uh, it's fine. He did it for love, Kim. She's a child. Yeah. She's a child's she, she body. A child. Red flags. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then she tells him that he needs to go. She says, we still have our bet, although it looks like I'm about to win. Uh, and then he activates a sentinel. So we get the go to act sentinel activation. Uh, and then after he leaves, Miwa shows up and <laughs> insists on staying with baby Chihiro and taking her to safety. It's and very like funny. Whole, like, Chihiro's like, leave me the fuck alone. And Miwa's like, I'll help you find your mommy. Yeah, it's they, great. they hide from one of the worker, you know, the worker uh, Daimos. And, and then Tomi shows up and they all run to the uh, river at the river. Tomi, Miwa, and Shihiro are there. The Daimos are also now on this side of the city, so it's no longer safe anywhere. Tomi activates her Sentinel, which is awesome again. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and in this scene, Tomi's like talking to, I don't remember who it is. I think Goto chimes it's in. Goto. Yeah, it is Goto. Yeah. Uh, and Miwa's like, hey, who are you talking to? <laughs> She's like, don't worry about it's it. Like, it's nothing. <laughs> and activates this giant yeah. robot. Uh, and Miwa's like, oh my God, where did Tomi go? Um, <laughs> pledges to still protect baby Chihiro <laughs> and Chihiro has to basically just like hype herself up to like stay logical. Uh, but that does not work. Uh, and cause she calls Goto, <laughs> she calls out to Goto because yeah, she knows like, he's watching. I know you can hear yeah. me. Um, so he like shows up, you know, zaps out of his, his Sentinel and says that, uh, she says that she needs his biometric authentication, uh, and they shift to the underground mainframe. Uh, he asks her, what are you trying to achieve? She says, maximum hypocrisy, which is just a great phrase. Mm -hmm. Um, says that with his biometric ID and her senior credentials, she can access the system. Uh, so she's able to shift all the NPCs out of the the city. She realizes that it's, uh, silly because they're not real, but it will make the fight easier if they don't have to worry about, you know, civilian casualties, quote unquote. And this is the scene that we see in the end of one of the battles where she just like pops in is like hi i teleported 1.2 million people away yeah. and they're like uh <laughs> who is this child what the fuck yeah yeah and it's yeah. very cool we see like they we see them all like zapping in like very very quickly like into the underground mainframe shifter and then out again yeah um and then we see them like all zapping into i think what is it 2025 where she, city, yeah. she stores them and Miwa's like, Miwa gets there too. And she's like, oh, I recognize this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I wrote in here. Um, I think the implication is that she's saying like, oh, you know, it'll make your job easier if there's Ooh. no civilian casualties. But like, A, why should should she want to make their jobs easier? Because uh, that's not what she wants. And B, I think that she is probably touched by seeing um, how Miwa cares for her. It's like she's, you know, some random little girl Miwa doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But it makes her soften toward these people who are essentially data she sees their humanity and she acts in a way that she knows is irrational and i wrote in here this is the eye of the duck for me Mm -hmm. um i the duck being a reference to uh, a podcast uh about the like scenes in movies that are like sort of the the like 
film defining scene yeah and this to me is like the scene that defines this game and the like big theme i think there are a few themes but um the big one is just that the things the thing that makes humans humans is love and it causes us to do really horrific things to each other but also really beautiful things Mm -hmm. and so um you know this is the like the person who created this fake world knowing that it's fake knowing that none of these people are real but recognizing that there is humanity in them and doing something completely irrational Mm -hmm. to save them yeah it's very good it's good. I, I fully agree that this being uh, about this being the eye of the duck. I think there's a yeah. You could dissect this little bit for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, but I think you've <laughs> you've summed it up pretty nicely in the next bullet point here. Uh, afterwards, <laughs> uh, Chihiro, uh, after she teleports everyone, Chihiro says to herself, "Absolutely ridiculous. Why am I doing this?" And Kim has put the uh, picture of SpongeBob <laughs> from the episode where Squidward eats a Krabby Patty, and SpongeBob says, "You like them, don't you, yes! Squidward?" I'm so glad you recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the the other scene that i all i like at first i was like maybe this is the eye of the duck was um the scene where goto admits that he had feelings for morimura and that that is what like motivated some of his actions uh because it's we've seen very clearly that goto is by far the most logical and you know rational person among the 15 mm -hmm. and even he is is victim quote victim to his feelings mm-hmm. um but it's like yeah the 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 point of the game is that everybody does it yeah everyone has these motivations and i know that we have like in the past been like it's so stupid that you know their only motivation is love and why are there so many stories that are like this it's like it's because it's the theme of the game so mm-hmm. i've softened on that a bit yeah so- um, sorry that we didn't immediately recognize the theme of this wild sci-fi game was love <laughs> is the answer um, yeah sorry we didn't clock that instantly yeah so yeah it, uh, very good scene um i think this scene is way less messy in terms of like picking it apart than the goto scene is yeah um yeah just because it's not like you know chihiro doesn't really do anything kind of morally questionable here it's just Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't she doesn't have to steal a kid she just you know saves people um yeah so then the end the the ending of this scene before we get into the actual area three battle stuff proper um hijiyama uh like you know (laughs) skypes in uh with a message from okino uh, saying that Okino coded something into the system for for the Sentinels, and she just has to put it in, and he and you know so she does, and Hijiyama thanks her on behalf of Okino, uh, and also on his own behalf. Uh, and this is like the this is the thing that we get after Area Two, no Area at the, at the end of Area One. <laughs> we get the uh like ability to upgrade there's like this the second oh, upgrade menu or whatever it is okay um that's that's that stuff so Got it. Uh, in in the in the battle scene itself we just get hijiyama saying like oh it must have been that little kid that did this but in reality mm-hmm. it was okino oh. made it and then had to have chihiro like put into the actual system okay um, thank you so. for clarifying that for me yes uh i just remember that moment being like really interesting yeah. in terms of like why yeah. are we adding more mechanics to this fucking battle system but <laughs> but hey it's fine um yeah yeah so then I, we run into the actual area battles yeah these things start to uh collide uh <laughs> temporally so starting with area three wave six this is at 
3.12 a.m. Before the battle, uh, we just get some fun dialogue between Natsuno and Miura. She talks about how he reminds her of BJ. Mm. Um, she's like, it's not like the two of you are that similar. And Miura says, well, if I had to guess, it's because he felt the same way. Mm. Um, and he's like, you know, Natsuno, you can pull out of the battle for a little bit if you need to. And she says, no, you know, she wants to keep fighting. And he says, OK, well, I know I can count on Sentinel 17 to protect you. Mm. All very cute. All very um, nice. I love that relationship. It's so good. It's so good. Definitely one of the top relationships in the game. Yeah. Um, after the battle, A and Juro explain that they can't activate Aegis on all of the terminals um, because it'll stop time in this world altogether. Everyone will disappear and they will be trapped here. So they have to leave one open. Right. Query to me how much they have been told about, you know, Goto actually needing to do that for uh chihiro reasons but whatever yeah i'm sure that it was just a thing that goto said and they were like yeah sure mm-hmm. yeah okay <laughs> um so at uh the next wave wave seven is at 3:28 a.m uh a and diori talk about how morimura's plan would have been basically impossible without the sentinels like she was like we can't rely on the sentinels anymore and it just has to be operation aegis but like there is no way to defend the terminals without the sentinels yeah. And Juro and Megami are like, yeah, I guess, you know, we got to see 426's plan through. It was a pretty good one. So after the battle, (laughs) Ogata realizes it's now or never. (laughs) And he confesses to Tomi in the most awkward way imaginable. Um, She and she gets mad at him. (laughs) He's like, Tomi, I uh, I like you. Um, and she goes, you are such an ass. You have no idea how to do this, do you? And he's like, hey, what are you talking about? Like, I, you know, he thought he was really doing something there. Mm-hmm. And Natsu is like, I mean, we're all still in open comms and everyone can hear you. So it's kind of awkward. <laughs> kind of awkward. <laughs> and Ogata's uh, <laughs> like, but this is how they do this stuff in the movies. <laughs> I wrote here, my man got negative game. Yeah. Uh, and this is the one of my favorite parts of the entire game. Yeah, dude. Uh, in the entire game, Juro's like, I thought you sounded cool. And <laughs> Ogata goes, Sorry, Karabi, but that shit makes me feel even worse. Oh, it's basically man. like you coming from you, I feel deeply uncool now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Wow, it's so good. Okay, wave eight. Uh, it's 3.46 a.m. There are four terminals left. People are hyping each other up. Megami says, I'll hold them back no matter what. And Hijiyama goes, you're an inspiration to us all, Yakisoba Pan Angel. She's like, could you stop calling me that? <laughs> and then it's like, what? Well, Daimo's got to fight. Extremely good. Yeah. So after the battle, this is one of those scenes that actually lines up with a scene in Goto's 100%. Mm-hmm. So um, we see it from the perspective of you know, everyone in the Sentinels and then in Goto's 100% um, scene, we see it from the perspective of baby Chihiro in the mainframe. So they discuss how there are three terminals remaining. They can use Aegis on two, but the last one needs to be left open and it's going to be 10 hours until they can reestablish a connection with Inaba. So that's going to be too long. So like, what the fuck are we going to do? Goto is like, after everybody kind of signs off, he's like, Chihiro, I know that you're listening. Please respond. Mm-hmm. And she does. And he says, I know that you can link up with the command ship, even if it's outside of orbit or, you know, on like on the other side of the planet or whatever. Yeah. Because I saw you do it to revise the decode. Can you do that now? Which, first of all, I don't know why he didn't ask for this four (laughs) hours ago when Miyuki and Naba first went offline, but whatever. (laughs) 
he uh, didn't want to taint the bet, you know? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and she's like, oh, um, what log are you going to bring up now to gain leverage over me? Um, and he's like, this time I am just asking you for a favor. All I can do is beg. I just want us to have a chance. And like props to Goto's voice actor, because usually he is very like calm, cool and collected. And there is mm. just like the tiniest bit of emotion in that line. I just mm. want us to have a chance. That is Oh, it's so good. Really well done. Also, apparently someone in the um, Discord said that this is Dudu's voice actor as there well. There you go. Um, Perfect. Which, uh, bada bing. Um, so she's she's like, oh, I lied to you, you know? You know which lie I'm talking about? And he goes, not this time. <laughs> really good writing here. Yeah. And she says, when I said I wasn't going to like you. And I'm like, mood. Yeah. Because same. Yeah. Um, Extremely Turns relatable. out. <laughs> yeah, very good. So it's wave nine. It's 3.52 a.m. Megumi talks about doing whatever she can, quote, even if I might not come back. Tommy's like, you shouldn't talk like that. And Megumi's like, but I'm the one who got everyone in this mess in the first place. It's like, I think you probably all would have had to fight anyway. But um, Megumi's now now is not the time to pick me. OK, yeah, really. Um, I did in. this. I can't believe <laughs> I'm the one that endangered us all. Me. <laughs> so Yuki's like. Megami, that's the coolest you've ever sounded. You sound like a badass. Let's fucking go. Um, <laughs> so uh, after the battle, this is another scene that lines up with Goto's 100%. Chihiro patches into all of the Sentinels. What I think is interesting is this this bit mm. comes directly after the part where she, she says, oh, Goto, I actually like you, mm -hmm. which like gives you a sense of like, in like while they were having that conversation, this entire other wave was happening, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which like it's a very it's a good like encapsulation of like how the timing works. Yeah. Every um, battle takes two minutes max. Yeah. yeah. So she patches into all the Sentinels and she says, listen, I can communicate with the command ship by realigning the surveillance satellites. But in order to do that, she literally has to drop them out of orbit and send them plummeting towards the planet. <laughs> And the connection is only going to last until they hit the surface. So they have this like very narrow window. This fucks. This is very cool. Really very good. fun. Chihiro goes, honestly, humans are so irrational, but I might be the most irrational one here. If you actually manage to pull this off, then I expect you all to take responsibility. And then Miura says, Chihiro. And she says, good luck, big brother. Ah! <laughs> oh, my heart. Ouch. <laughs> Um, so she it's good. Yeah, she reestablishes the connection with Inaba and Inaba's like, hey, processing is almost done. So next up in the cron is area three wave 10. Um, it's 401 a.m. There's Ooh. some real supercharged boss Dimos. I got to tell you, I love these boss battles where it's just like you got to kill the big guy because yeah, you got to so kill this one big guy. To like, yeah, I just got to point him at the big guy. That's I it. especially when the big guys are um, ground kaiju, because I just like supercharged my um, what are they called? Um generation that's the word i was like we're generation uh -oh. one yeah the the melee sentinels they have oh what is that ability called demolisher Sorry, blade forgetting yes demolisher blade that's which uh ignores armor i just cranked that up to fucking a zillion mm -hmm. and those boys are kicking ass out there yeah so these are my favorite ones because i'm like i just send like ogata or hijiyama or whoever to like punch them a few times and then they are gone yep 
I love gaming. So Jiro's like, yeah, you know, we have these these boss demos. We've gotten too strong and they're trying to restore the balance. I love the idea of game balance becoming a <laughs> um, like narrative thing. So after the battle, they have activated Aegis on the second to last terminal. Um, Inaba's processing is almost done, but she says it's not over yet. And we go into the final battle. It's 4.17 a.m. Juro and Goto explain that universal control is operating, but it's not convinced that the Daimos or it's convinced that the Daimos are part of the normal process. You know, ordinarily the way that this is supposed to work. And it's something that was explained in, I think, the 2188 log of Tomi Kisaragi. The way that these things work is that if there is something wrong with the simulation or with the clones or the facility mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. it all gets broken down and, and restarted. Mm-hmm. And that is what has trapped them in this loop because every time the Dimos attack, the system's like, something is wrong. We got to restart. What Aegis is doing is cutting off the terminal's connection. So universal control does not know that this is happening. That's they've like bought themselves time and a likens it to an anesthetic before surgery. So they're like, okay, we need to make it realize that this is a state of emergency, but hold on, I'm trying to, I thought I understood this and now I don't. Yeah, (laughs) pull up the screenshots. So, okay, so in real life, we just spent like five minutes kind of trying to puzzle out exactly what is happening. Uh, And I think, I think we basically have it figured out. We're activating the terminals to activate Operation Aegis, Mm -hmm. which will cut the terminals off from like realizing they're under imminent threat and restarting the entire loop. So yeah. Aegis basically turns off that terminal and and stops the Dimos from being able to like trigger a reset. So what Inaba's trying to do <laughs> is reconnect all of the terminals, but instead of or reconnect all the terminals through the satellite. Because right now the terminals are all connected to the 15 and it's referencing the code that's inside the the 15, uh, which includes the decode, which is telling the universal control that, yes, the Dimos are normal. This is a normal thing that should be happening. And Inaba's trying to get the code, or get the terminals to link through the satellite, uh, uh, which the, <laughs> the data in the satellite is saying, no, the decode is not normal. The Dimos should not be here, uh, which would get uh, universal control to just, like, destroy the Dimos, basically, and and set everything back to how it should be normally right (laughs) that's where we ended up sure i think so (laughs) i do think that we should play some bossa nova over this because it'll probably be our last time (laughs) yeah the cryptic conversation here is the conversation that kim and (laughs) i are having with each other (laughs) yeah so i'm pretty sure that is the deal yeah, it's just, whatever it is, it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah, it's just kind of like obfuscated in a weird way. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like not fully clear in the, in the conversation. But we look, we got there. So <laughs> maybe it took it took some thinking. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> after the battle, uh, we we hear the weird computer voice that's been here the entire time say, uh, you see suspended interlocutor link disconnected uh, and everything goes uh, like fuzzy and staticky. And um, it sort of like blinks out like a like a TV turning off again. Yeah. And we are at the ending. The ending. 
So basically we get uh, a lot of space conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. We're like seeing the underside of the satellite or whatever. uh, And everyone's popping up in their various windows, popping in and saying things. So Okino pops in and explains that they're now outside of universal control and that this is the real world. A and Juro pick up and, and basically explain that they have been living in a virtual reality. And we're explained that the planet they're on is not Earth. Uh, they're in a pod facility on a new planet. And Shu, Shu chimes in and says, everything up until now was one big illusion. And Megami says, even if that's true, what we lived was real. What we felt was real, which is kind of the entire game. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. She says, this was Jiro Izumi's plan, the one he brought from the ruined world. Uh, Inaba says, it was your only chance... No other plan had any possibility of survival. By reconnecting the terminal link, the mainframe detects abnormal conditions and initiates emergency escape procedure. But your bodies weren't ready to leave the pods. They needed conditioning. It was a very long process, which is why they were like living lives and stuff, Uh, Mm -hmm. which I remember I was pretty indignant about in the last episode of like, why do they need to be actually living lives? Why can't they just Mm -hmm. be waking, woken up? Uh, so then uh, <laughs> Ogata asks, are we finally done cooking in here or what? Uh, and Inaba you know, tells them, yes. Yori asks about everybody else in the city. And Inaba says that they're not human. They only exist in the simulation. They were AI created and managed by universal control. But that Professor Morimura saved their data and that they have not been erased. Tomi asks about the interstellar development whether the kaiju were part of that plan. And Ryoko explains that, I guess, Ryoko Prime or whatever, 2188 Ryoko <laughs> Uh, tried to sabotage that plan, says she was sick of humanity, sick of despair. Hijiyama says that he saw the logs of the final days and that the end was truly horrific, which, yeah. Yeah. Inaba says that the new planet is 1,200 light years from Earth (laughs) in the direction of the Virgo constellation RS-13 Alpha. She uh, is about to say how long it's been since they left Earth, but Ogata's like, stop, 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 stop. I can't. If you tell me anymore, I'm going to explode, um, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. But yeah, there is a mystery I, file. Yes. Oh, wait, does it does it explain the total time or just how? Oh, a program code that was written in 2088, 20 million years there ago. There it is. There it it's is. Dimos code. Holy shit. 20 okay. million years ago. Uh, thank you for finding that. That was. Oh, wow. The 2188 researcher Ryoko Shinonome was sick of humanity and believed peace could only be attained through genocide. Yeah. She was the one responsible for this code. Rough. Yeah. So anyway, it's been 20 million years. So it's probably a good thing that Ogata cut them off because shit, dude. Yeah. So uh, uh, in any case, uh, Inaba says, in any case, this will be your new Earth. The satellites about to enter the atmosphere in a couple of moments, we'll lose connection. Um, she apologizes and says that she threw everything into the plan, but didn't have faith that it would actually work. Uh, she says, but against all odds, you pulled it off. No matter how far technology may come, it's humanity who always seems to make miracles come true. <laughs> well, uh, which is a whole thing, but okay. Yeah. Uh, and then she ends off by saying, you've done well, children of mankind. And then explains that like once they leave, the pods that they won't be able to communicate with Inaba anymore, um, but that she'll be watching from her place in the sky. And then, uh, and then we get more endings. Yeah. <laughs> the ending just keeps There are so many going. endings. Yeah, dude. Um, I actually had a whole 
uh, like I went on a whole diatribe uh, in 10 very big books, my Malazan read through mm-hmm. podcast about uh, things like humanity is uh, always makes miracles come true. Uh, something along yeah. those lines, but in, in the context of fantasy, like in uh, like Mass Effect, for example, like they've only been part of the, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, yeah. galaxy for you know 20 years or whatever and they're like we're great we're scrappy we're humanity she's like mm-hmm. i just i hate that view of humanity and stuff in me too in media i just think it's so like tired i don't know um yeah like to to like we have seen how shitty humanity can be here and for the 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 message that inava comes away with to be like you did it humans did it it's humanity yeah. <laughs> it makes miracles come true it's like yeah there was some pretty fucked shit that happened yeah it's also humanity that destroyed humanity so yeah, like and like what's the miracle is that they're they they are still alive like it's a miracle mm-hmm. that they survived like i don't know man. yeah but anyway more endings <laughs> Yeah. It, well, there's an assumption that it is inherently good. Yes, exactly. Uh, for for humanity to be continued, which like not to get too dark. And I know that this is like sort of one of the <laughs> themes of the game, but like it's pretty much morally neutral whether right. humans exist or not. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 There's no inherent anyway. value in humanity existing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so we have a log from Professor Morimura. Uh, she explains that they are on a, uh, talking to the 15. It's like, you did it. <laughs> if you're seeing this, you did it. You're on a new planet terraformed to be a second earth. Uh, there are probes launched into space in the direction of, uh, viable planets. Uh, the closest candidate planet was 12 light years away. Uh, and we know that this one was 1200 away. So it's been yeah. a long time. Humanity is, uh, you know, extinct and they are humanity's successors. Um, and now that they're all 18, which is not true. Right? Uh, yeah, I think it's not true. It's this is we find out in, momentarily like this is a video that was supposed to play yes. if things went well. Right. So she's basically saying, oh, you're now all 18. Yeah. We'll go through a two year training program yeah. and then we'll be released from the pods. Yeah. So the whole thing was to teach them how to you know, go about daily life and like develop a society. Um, mm-hmm. then we get a log from Tamal Karabe introduces herself as, you know, the foremost professor of, uh, artificial intelligence says that the probe that they are in included a massive cache of genetic information. Uh, there will be cloning and species restoration efforts of, for all kinds of flora and fauna, including humans. And she basically says like, you won't really have to do anything. It'll just, it'll just do it. So, uh, and we do see that, uh, it, that it just works. Mm-hmm. She says the purpose of the sim was to teach them about life on earth, culture and history, uh, which is why they were living in the different eras, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. She says, uh, if you can hear me, please keep weaving the tapestry. Keep the history of humanity alive, uh, which I think is a much better line than you make miracles come true yeah. because it's much more neutral. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So then we go to Juro's pod. Uh, and he's like, oh, these were meant to play if, if everything went according to plan. And so they're, you know, not going to spend the next two years in their pods. They are <laughs> they are getting out because the, the you know, universal control Mm-hmm. Or whatever. It's like, all right, time to go. Yeah, it was the emergency evacuation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Jiro's pod opens and we are in the first person view of Jiro Karabe. Uh, and we see the whole like lab thing. It's kind of it's kind of like universal control adjacent. Yeah. Um, there's just a bunch of pods all around. You know, they look like the cockpits, but they're all empty. Uh, and then <laughs> we see 
an extremely naked Megumi just fully on the television in my living room with my windows mm-hmm. open in the middle of a, a Wednesday. With like one <laughs> tendril of hair covering her nipple and that's yeah. it. The um, rest is all out there for us. She doesn't have glasses, which then um, actually started me thinking about like, why did people look how they did in the cockpits? But I think that's just like a residual self-image thing. Yeah, You know, they're possibly. just seeing themselves in a way that mm-hmm. is like how they see each other in the simulation, um, right. which tracks for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like Ryoko was all bandaged up and stuff and is like obviously not bandaged up in the real world. Megumi doesn't have glasses. Mm-hmm. So Jiro's the last one to wake up. Megumi tells him everyone's already outside and we get to we get this like portrait of them together holding hands naked. I didn't even clock this. Kim wrote in the notes here. It's very Adam and Eve imagery yeah yeah which is interesting i I also i also wrote here i like how the game went to great pains to tell us they're actually somewhere between 18 and 20 years old so nudity is okay actually except no we just realized no i guess are they are they like 16 because it's been 16 years i don't know man since the simulation started and i i forget if i read it somewhere in like an interview i think it was in an interview with the writer and the simulation occurs in real time. So okay. it like if the simulation started 16 years ago, they are 16. they're 16 years old and very naked on my television. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so then we um, um, they talk about how like, oh, you know, like we can actually feel each other and I can feel your breath and stuff. It's like, OK, we can we can move past all this naked teen talking to each other stuff. Uh, and Jura says, what do we do now? And she says, let's go join the others. And we get this like extremely dramatic, you know, uh, uh, like white light fades to the, mm-hmm. the a view of the planet. And we slowly pan up through these, uh, you know, a, a meadow and like a lake and, and these beautiful hills and this lovely mm-hmm. sunset. Because no matter where you are, the sunset always looks the same. See, um, I interpreted this as a sunrise because it's the dawn of it's probably humanity. sunrise. You're probably right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's nice. It's, it honestly, it's really, really beautiful, but just like very, very dramatic. And we get this like huge musical swell that takes us into, into the beginning of the credits slash epilogue. Over top of this, Jero is saying this plan was meant to save the human race. We already know what we're going to do now. Uh, and then the, the screen fades to white and in black text, it just says, we're going to live. Yes. Uh, wow. And then the credits roll over mm-hmm. a, a wild song. Just good. <sighs> yeah. I the the ending it very much feels like the end of a film. Yeah. Um I wrote it reminds me of the, the ending of E.T. Mm. um which has that like very melodramatic swell of music and a rainbow and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Like I you know, we're goofing about it, but like it's good. It is. It's a great it's it has a good um, ending. And it just keeps going. And yeah, I I specifically mentioned the credits song because it's like this really good creepy sort of music but i like the vibes and yes you're right it does just keep going because now we get the epilogue uh so i'm so fucking angry about this (sighs) it's bad it starts off in the mainframe ida is here adult ida he has completed the reboot he says sector four is back online apparently inaba gave him control 
He says, um, I thought you'd hate me. And she says, even in my darkest hour, the ID I relied on was Shuamiguchi's. Because no matter what form he takes, there's only one man I've always counted on. It's always been you. And they talk about being together after all the sectors are back online. I fucking hate this. This sucks. This sucks. Get fucked. Not everybody needs a redemption arc, especially like the foulest, foul, stinky, stink man we have ever witnessed who like abused countless people like Oh, I hate him. I hate him so much. He didn't need a redemption arc and it sucks that he gets forgiven and gets his little nice storyline. And anyway, he asked her to sing for him. So Seaside Vacation is playing now, I guess. And it just makes me angry. Once again, once again, this song is playing when my feelings are very different (laughs) from the feelings that I am apparently supposed to have about it. But anyway, it is a very good song. I've been singing it uh, constantly this week. Uh, Fuck Tetsuya Ida forever to hell. At least, at, at least, uh, simulation Tetsuya Ida. It's, it's like they did Ryoko so dirty. Yeah. And then the fact that, like, not only that, but then the game is also like, and we forgive Ida for his role. And no, yeah. we don't. Yeah. I don't. Oh, God, it's awful. Anyway, so, um, our friends have entered the pods again. <laughs> to visit the newly restored Sector 4 and all of their friends who they love very much. So I have interspersed in here the thing. There was another thing that I thought about doing for the bullshit this week, which was talking about the different couples and like what I think the vibe is. Oh, um, like if they were uh, in your friend group. Right, right. Uh, but I decided to do 13 Sentinels, three houses instead. But instead, I have interspersed all of that in here. Cool. Um, so we start off in Ayami Park. Ryoko and Goto are here with baby Chihiro slash Professor Morimura. And it is unclear if these two are together. But I like to think that they started a family together solely for practical, like we're recreating human life purposes. <laughs> yeah. As a result, ironically, they have the most functional relationship of anyone in the game. Anyway. <laughs> It's been five years. They explained to baby Chihiro, it's been five years since they left the simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're establishing bases above ground. They're making mm-hmm. technological developments. And Goto and Ryoko are actually looking into using the pods to recreate the people of the city. Um, and this is based on the notes of 2188 Ryoko Shinonome, because I guess that was like a, a previous potential plan that they had discarded. And, she, and Professor Morimura is like, oh, yeah, I remember that plan, <laughs> which I do think it's nice that like 2188 Ryoko sort of like, even though she doomed humanity, yeah. sort of it's like her research that will ultimately be used to save it, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I still don't understand what it is that 2188 Ida did to her. Supposedly, according to the author, he was like, I like to think that he wouldn't do a lover's suicide pact with her. And yeah. I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good reason, but yeah. whatever. There's a um, there's a really great video that Kim and I both watched called uh, mm. 2188 and the Fall of Humanity or the Fall of Humanity and 2188, whatever, uh, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, but the uh, author of that video says that they think maybe it's because they Ryoko and Ida ended up on opposite sides of the uh like power supply struggle mm-hmm. um that ended up in the you know the the shootout um between Jiro and and Hijiyama and stuff which I like a little bit better I could see I could see it maybe yeah. being the aftermath of that and Ryoko being like if we mm-hmm. can't even agree on this one thing then you know we 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 are right. out here trying to restart humanity and we still can't stop just fucking killing each other over mm-hmm. small disputes we don't deserve to continue right 
So I would I would like um, to think it's not Ida related at all. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, Professor Morimura, she's like, oh, I guess I won't have to step in and lead after all. And they're like, well, but we would really like for your help with this project. And so she agrees. She's like, I could do a peer review. Very cute. <laughs> it's very nice. Um, she says, um, oh, if Miura's here, I'll need to go see him. We're family after all. Extremely cute. As she says that, I don't know if you saw the animation that she did while she was saying like, oh, is Miura here? She's no. petting the bunny. And she's saying, is Mira here? We're family after all. It's really, That is something that we don't, that we never really touched on is that they're like, you can sort of tell uh, where certain scenes are in the chronology based on uh, whether a baby Morimura has the bunny (laughs) in her bag or not. Yeah. (laughs) Because Mira gave it to her. It's very cute. That's funny. But yeah, you're right. I, I did notice, I don't remember what scene i noticed that animation in but Mm. i noticed it in another one i Mm. didn't notice it here but that's really cute it's really nice yeah uh so they're like oh we'll go with you and goto picks her up which is something that he does uh occasionally Mm. during his remembrance which is also very cute to me yeah anyway that's where this scene ends uh the next one takes place in the hallway at school uh, Miwa walks out of the classroom and Iori and Tomi run in and hug her. She's like, they're like, we missed you so much. And she's like, what is going on? Because we find out later that this is like a hard reset to the state of things right before the like Daimos showed up. Yeah. So like everything is chill here. And Miwa is like, I just saw you guys the other day. What is going on? Yeah. Um, and it's actually, I, I really like that because it's actually an illustration of like, now that universal control is functioning how it should, mm-hmm. if a Daimos shows up, it will just delete it. <laughs> like it just will stop right. existing. Right. Uh, good stuff. So in, in Slither's, uh, my favorite boy, Nanji Ogata. Um, and he makes these nasty little comments about how, oh, Tommy, I forgot you used to look like this. You're so flat. I'm lucky you filled out. Gross. Is worth noting, though, he calls her Usami now. Yeah. Um, he always used to call her Kisaragi. Um, so it's sort of indicative of uh, their relationship being more intimate. And she's like, yeah, fuck you, my guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not just... coming home tonight. So uh, you're taking care of the kids on your own. Yeah. Um, so these two have apparently uh, procreated. Yeah. And me was like, wait, kids, what? And Yuri's like, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Let's go over here. Yeah. Yuri's like, let's go over here. <laughs> but then before they go, Tommy asks Yuri, where is A? And she's like, oh, you know, he's never been great with this stuff. So he's like, antisocial is always hot. And it's true. Like, we don't see A here. He doesn't show uh, up. Because... Yeah. Yeah, because she's like, oh, he said he'd hang back and monitor everyone's pods. And I love this because it supports my headcanon that everyone kind of dislikes A um, and thinks Iori is too good for him. And he's like kind of a dick and kind of a jerk. And we're all just like, (laughs) he's like that one boyfriend in the friend group where you're like, "Mm, we don't want you to be with him. (laughs) Anyway, Miwa only picking up bits and pieces at this point is like, does this mean you both have boyfriends now? And they're like, don't worry about it. Um, and they they run off to like go eat ice cream or whatever it is that they do. Yeah. And Ogato walks out. He goes, there you go. All's well that ends well. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Juro walks out of a classroom with Shiba, Izumi, whatever you want to call him, 426. I have no idea. Apparently, Shiba's still in Juro's nanomachines on the <laughs> outside. Um, which has creepy implications in my opinion, but it sounds like they say something about like, oh, now you'll be here or something, which uh, seems to mean that like they're loading 
Izumi back into the simulation and he won't be in Juro's head anymore. Yeah. I pray. <laughs> so this is where we find out that Sector 4 is a hard reset to before the disaster and you see is handling any inconsistencies. Um, and she was like, movie night? And they're like, ha 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 ha. It's very funny. Uh, Juro's like, <gasps> yes. It's like, yeah. It's just like, okay. So goofy. Yeah. Weird, like, sitcom shit. Yes! Uh, so, <laughs> Megami walks in, and she's like, Oh, Jiro, you're so cute here. You've become so rugged since we left. He's like, you're as gorgeous as ever. <laughs> and Shiva turns into the cat and is like, You guys are fucking gross. <laughs> um, which is exactly how I feel. And you just know they're doing this shit all the time. And right. nobody can stand it. It's fucking <laughs> nauseating. A couple is just standing in the corner of a room that with cool. their hands on each other's waist, just, like, sitting, like, nose to nose, just just talking is this to each allowed? Other the entire function <laughs> yes nobody wants 100%. to see it, nobody wants to it's, see it. yeah it is the pda is like off the charts with them and also the like oh no you're cuter it's disgusting <laughs> it's absolutely repulsive um so anyway they're like shiva come over for dinner and he does uh because he turns back into to Shiva um, at Megami's request. Mm-hmm. And she's like, come over for to our place. We'll have dinner. And he's like, oh, you know, I love that cat food. Just um, <laughs> a really good thing. And he leaves. And then they just like cuddle. And that's where the scene ends. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys are disgusting. <laughs> Honestly, it's good that Izumi is getting out of Juro's head because like, yes, that is exactly why this creeped me out in, so yeah, much. Yeah, in Izumi, like in the Izumi chronology, Megumi was a kid he was taking care of. <laughs> and now, well, I sorry. Well, okay, he's not, he's not 2188 Izumi, right? He... I don't think that 2188's... I don't think he is, but he has those memories, doesn't he? I don't think so. Oh, who's, who did we see? That's just a scene that we saw. That's just a scene like outside of anyone's... Oh, Interesting yeah okay that's just a scene that they showed us but you can tell the difference because if it's a scene that someone saw like a log that they saw Mm. in their scene it appears in that scene in the chronology not as a separate 2188 scene which by the way makes it impossible to know a chronology for 2188 (laughs) and i've been working on one myself yeah doing the lord's work really difficult anyway Next, we uh, cut to the front gate uh, where we see Ogata walking out. He finds Miro waiting for Natsuno. Miro's like, I certainly remember that hairstyle. And Ogata goes, best one there is. Uh, this is uh, this also reminds me, this is more support for the idea of the residual self-image because like obviously Ogata in his, like when we see Ogata in his pod, he looks like he has the pompadour, but obviously he like, yeah. He doesn't have the pompadour yeah. there. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense that it's a residual self-image thing. I'm so curious, though, what his hair looks like on the outside. Yeah, I was really uh, and... I was, sorry. I'm, I, I was really thinking that, like, everybody's heads would be, like, shaved or whatever, or everyone just have really long hair because it's been 16 years. You would think uh, so. Yeah. But I guess they could have gotten haircuts in the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> so Elgato walks off uh, after uh, chatting with Mira. Mira's like, oh, I'm waiting for Natsuno. And Elgato goes, I can see it now. You're going to be wrapped around her little finger for life. <laughs> um, very cute. Yeah. True. Um, so Elgato, uh walks off and he runs into... Uh, I'm realizing now I didn't uh, talk about the Ogata tomi relationship dynamic. Um, I think that they are constantly bickering, but in like a cute you know that they love each other way yeah as opposed to some others that we'll see later um so ogata walks off and he runs into wajima who's been there like waiting to beat him up yeah 
And, you know, to Wajima, it's only been a day, but to Agata, it's been five years and he gets emotional. He's like, I'm so, I can't believe you're here. This That's is, you've been waiting for me this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most beautiful shit I ever heard. And he's like, you can beat me up, do whatever, man. Yeah. And Wajima's like, are you okay? Yeah. He's like, um, <laughs> yeah. He asks, are you okay? Which I just think is really yeah. good. He's like, you, you good, dude? It's really good. So we pan back to Mira and Natsuno uh, comes out and she finally changed out of her gym clothes, which I think is a very good bit. Yeah. <laughs> but like she finally at the end of the game uh, is now wearing street clothes. I think we saw her once or twice in a in a regular. Yeah. yeah. Not not frequently, though. No. So she's like, oh, I had to stop by the lockers. And he's like, your eyes are red. Were you crying? And she's like, yeah, I finally got to see him again. And BJ like pops out of yeah. her bag. And they thank him for his help. And they're like, listen, if you want to go see the outside world, like you can hop in our nano machines anytime. And he's like, I'm going to think about that because <laughs> I think he's he's smart enough to know the potential consequences of that. Yeah. Um, it's be fucking weird. So uh, not to know is like, OK, let's go. And Mira's like, where are we going? And she's like, I'm going to introduce you to my parents. And he is freaked out. It's like I was I'm not even ready for this. What are you doing? Yeah, he's all freaked out. It's very cute. In walks Yuki. Um, she's like, sorry, I'm late. Kanatsu was being so fussy. Apparently she has a child now. And unfortunately, we all know who the father is. Um, <laughs> and but before we find that out, she's like, oh, Kanatsu looks just like you not to know. Sometimes I feel like she's as much your kid as mine, which is sort of weird because like genetically Kanatsu is not half sister. But sure, whatever. Yeah. And Yuki... <laughs> They, when she finds out like Keitaro is about to meet the parents, she's like, buddy, you need to unclench a little, which is hilarious. Yeah. And Yuki's like, oh, I'll come to dinner with you guys. And Natsuno is like, what about Shu? And Yuki's like, Ugh, what about that sleaze bag? <sighs> so here comes the sleaze bag. And he's like, what? You're still mad? And apparently the thing that she's mad about is he was like flirting with Ryoko. Yeah. And he's like, that's just residual eat a brain, baby. She doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when minimizing doesn't work, he love bombs her. And he's like, I'll never find anyone better than you anyway. Uh, I give him two years, Max. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that just ends with not snow being like, you should spend time with him and yugi's like maybe bad romance um <laughs> not the lady gaga kind so it's a second lady gaga old. reference in this season yeah right <laughs> oh my lady gaga um i okay <laughs> i have to talk about this with someone okay. uh, i am on crystal scoop tiktok crystal scoop Yes, there is a genre of live TikToks where these crystal shops, um, yeah. like places that sell crystals, yeah. they put them in this big crystal tumbler. It's the thing that polishes them. Right. And there you can order a scoop and they take this like big scoopy and they like scoop out the crystals and it's just like a grab bag. Like whatever you get in your scoop is what you get for thirty nine ninety five or whatever. Um <laughs> absolutely no doubt in my mind that these are like not ethically sourced crystals mm -hmm. and like they all come from you know a factory somewhere but anyway the one that i watch they say oh my lady gaga when um <laughs> oh, <laughs> whenever no. someone gets like a particularly good scoop oh. um they have like all of this like there is a whole language of crystal scoop TikTok, Ugh. and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. I don't know why, but it, there's something very satisfying <laughs> about it. So anyway, this is going in the episode because I've <laughs> got to put it somewhere in the okay. world. Uh, so we're in the old building and 
Hichiyama walks in with Tamao. Um, Sector 5 is almost restored, so they talk about going to visit the 1940s with Keitaro. When it's done, Nokino walks in wearing Kuriko Doji clothes. And it's like, oh, Hijiyama, this is where you are? You snuck off for a date? And Hijiyama is like, oh, the like he's like surprised that Okino is wearing the doji getup. And but then he's like, a dress isn't enough to get a rise out of me anymore. And Okino heavily implies that they have entered the simulation now with the body of a woman. Mm-hmm. And Hijiyama was like, oh, what? OK. Um, <laughs> See, I had a look at, at the beginning of the scene. I had a much more generous read of, of the negging here because I had just assumed that they've been they are also in a relationship for the last five years. And I thought that this was just Okino, like trying to get a rise out of his bi boyfriend. Yeah. But really quickly, we realized that maybe that's not the case. If it were that, that would be cute. Yeah, that's what I like. I liked it in the beginning. And then as this scene yeah. goes on, I'm like, oh, actually, this fucking sucks. Yeah. So um, Tamao says, you really like Okino-kun, don't you, Hijiyama? And Hijiyama's like, I don't know about that. What are we fucking doing? Seriously? What are we doing? What it's been fuck? five years. Every it's other five years. Every other person gets a non-ambiguous. We are in love. We are together like line well, aside from goto and ryoko but also who like who cares about right they were never implied to like, really have any if those major love interests besides the dead ones yeah like if those two are together it's not because they love each other and we all know that and that's fine yeah like i said i i kind of love the headcanon that they don't but anyway yeah no it just sucks it just sucks we don't get the happy ending with them instead we get well let me finish the yes sorry the thing so um then android tamau walks in the two of them strike up a conversation, um, which must be uncanny. And meanwhile, Okino goes to Hijiyama. You really brought her here of all places. I knew you were a lost cause when it comes to dates, but this is just sad. Or were you going to jump her? So in one fell swoop, we've gotten transphobic jokes, gay panic and jokes about sexual assault. Really great. And one last fuck you from the game specifically to me um, with all of the shit that I hated the most about it. Yeah. Um, and Okino's like, I'll show you where couples go and they leave putting me out of my misery. <laughs> just sucks just sucks that like i'm sure i i suppose it's implied that they may get together in the future but like the fact that we're still doing this this rancid shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point i'm like come on Mm -hmm. the only happy ending that we get for the two of them is in 2188 and that was not actually a happy ending and you put a message in the discord that kind of i think sums it all up if you oh yeah don't mind my Um, you want to read it yeah, so, like, because, you know, obviously I've been doing a lot of thinking about this game and the stuff that we've talked about in it over the last uh, couple of weeks and several months, but uh, specifically talking about the 2188 Hijiyama Okino log stuff, it's not, like, textbook bury your gaze, like, trope-wise, like, it doesn't fully fall in to, like, the exact definition of that, but, like, it, the it feels like it so much because that is the only positive representation that we get of that relationship in this game like the 1985 hijiyama okino thing is like basically one-sided or like zero-sided with like hijiyama trying to figure out his feelings and his sexuality and all this stuff while okino just like harasses him for no reason and it's just very like the only positive in even here in, in this final scene where that we get together of them, like that's not even a positive exchange. Mm-hmm. Like the only positive representation we see is their, their 2188 scene where they're like, you know, 
on no uncertain terms, like, I love you. You are like the person that mm-hmm. I meant to be with. And then they immediately cut that off and it's it's done like they're dead. And like, yeah, in a, in a world, there's a world where that's fine, like where that works and it's fine. But to have the only relationship in your game that doesn't end on like a like. I love you. We have kids thing. Oh, I see. Is, is this relationship between Okino and mm-hmm. Hichiyama. And it just sucks. It sucks so bad. Yeah. And like the game has shown that like, it doesn't have a problem with this kind of relationship because yes. the 2188 scene is really good. It's really yes. good until it's not like it gets nothing wrong until they're dead. Right. <laughs> like, and it's just like, why can't they like, even the stuff with Okino being like, I might, I might have lady parts. Isn't that like, you know, like there's a mm-hmm. relation, there's a relationship dynamic where one partner can make fun of the other partner or like, you know, just constantly try and get a rise out of them. Like that yeah. is realistic. That's a thing that happens. But for it to be like, for Tamao to be like, oh, you really like Okino, don't you? And for Hijiyama to be like, oh, I don't know. Like, what yeah. the fuck are we like, doing? No, I don't. Well, yeah. Why are we still playing this? Why game? are we still like- doing this? It's been five years. Everyone else is like have mm-hmm. has kids and shit and like yeah hijiyama uh, has seen that they were together yeah in 2188 he has a full grasp of the situation and like what that was he like comes very like he admits that okino is someone that he at least has love for mm-hmm. like even if we don't get that you know full admission of romantic love mm-hmm. like he is ready and willing to express like some level of affection for him so like how is it possible that we have not progressed and it's just because the game wants to make a joke out of them and it's really disappointing and even like this not to say that all the the like heteronormative relationships are perfect because the yuki and shu one is obviously has some bumps or whatever but even that one ends with like you know they have kids and stuff and it's still like i don't know man yeah the the thing too i think that and maybe it's premature for this but it feels like the right place to to say it Mm. like there is something going on in this game with you know obviously we've talked about how like the theme is like you know love and Mm. and the fact that like this is not only the thing that often dooms us as humans because it makes us irrational but like it also is the reason why people do crazy things that like are good Mm. you know it is the reason why they all survived this is because they all fought for each other because they love each other Mm -hmm. but there is a conception in this game of what love is that highly skews towards a romantic love and b heterosexual romantic love mm. and c the like traditional values yeah. nuclear family kind of love yeah. where like how silly is it they're restarting humanity and they're all in these nuclear families mm-hmm. like are you kidding me <laughs> like shouldn't they all be procreating with each other because <laughs> like you know like shouldn't we be diversifying the gene pool um shouldn't shouldn't it take a village no we 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 they all grew up with the values of the 80s <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> What do you what do you think is going on in the 2100s? Because I'm sure it's not exclusively that. Yeah. yeah. But like, it, I don't know. It, to me, it it does make the the conception of love and romance and family in this game is ultimately extremely um, traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it just sort of I don't know. It, it, it is not surprising to me, I guess, that we like. It is so difficult, apparently, to conceive of the idea that 20 million years into the future on a brand new planet where, like, 
anyone can do anything that they want. It's a brand new fucking planet. God forbid we have one like non heterosexual romance. Yeah. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> Finally, um, finally, uh, we get one last scene in the epilogue. It is uh, in the classroom. Sheba walks in and Nurse Morimura is there. Uh, she asks for an explanation and Sheba turns into adult Jiro Izumi. He's like, you know, I promised you I'd come rescue you and I'm hoping we can have a fresh start and I love you. And she's like, I love you, too. They turn into their teen selves, which is cute, but also could be confusing because their teen selves are running around right now. It was Jiro Karabe and Iori Fuyasaka. Um, That's true. But yeah, it is implied that they also get their happy ending, yeah. which is fine, I guess. I don't have much stake in either of them. So good for them, I guess. That part kind of made, made me fluttery. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is part of the theme of the game being like they, you know, ultimately the thing that saved humanity was the fact that these two people loved each other. Um, I liked it. (laughs) I liked that. Yeah. So that's technically the end of the game. Yes. But once that's over, you get a a couple notifications. Area four is now available to Mm -hmm. to uh, do in destruction. It just looks like it's a whole bunch of battles like we talked about earlier. Uh, And also there's a new uh, event in the event archive. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you go all the way, all the way to the bottom of the event archive, there's an event called Infinite Possibilities. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so you start it out and we are looking out at RS-13 Alpha, uh, which is the planet that we have ended our game on. Uh, And we kind of pan up over the horizon of the planet and begin to zoom uh, light years away. Mm-hmm. There's like a counter in the bottom and it's like, you know, a, a big number of light years away. Yeah. Um, and we go through, you know, stars and galaxies and planets and whatever is all is passing us. <laughs> we, we zoom into another galaxy and we, we, the camera settles down into, uh, Ashitaba city where the Daimos are attacking. Uh, and Natsuno Minami and Nenji Ogata look on, uh, and then she says, we need to get out of here or something. Mm-hmm. And then they run away, and that's the end of the scene. Awesome. That fucks. Uh, very cool. It's so good. Um, I, it is interesting to me that they didn't finish this with, like, them summoning Sentinels. Yes. Which I guess maybe it's because the Sentinels are, like, a unique thing to our timeline because Okino created them. But they were based on plans that are in the... Uh, I think it depends um, on the on the loop, because I, I think the first loop, there were no Sentinels. I think then, right. then Okino added in the Sentinels in the second loop. So I think this. Yeah, is just that's like, true. So I guess it's sort of random. Yeah. But yeah, it would have been sick if it ended up with them summoning Sentinels, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is still very sick because uh, obviously the implication is there are tons of these probes out there mm-hmm. and who knows what, you know, what different results are happening uh, in those worlds. Stay tuned for the sequel, 14 Sentinels. <laughs> uh yeah um so that's that's the whole game gang that's the game that is the game wow yeah it's it's over good video game good video game notwithstanding that it frustrated the hell out of me in a lot of times i did really love it yeah yeah i think i mean just to to give general thoughts it's a good game i think uh especially toward the end it becomes really apparent Mm -hmm. that this game could have benefited from even one more writer yeah. This whole game was written by one guy and not to say that mm-hmm. it wasn't like overseen by the entire team at like Vanillaware or, or, or whatever. But like to the extent of the story, like that was all that was all from one guy. 
Yeah. Which I think is where a lot of our hangups <laughs> probably stem from. Yeah. Is that it's just yeah. how this one dude views the world and stuff like that. And, and that can get pretty messy pretty quick. All in all, I think the game's pretty good. <laughs> I think the game is pretty good. I enjoyed yeah. playing it, honestly. I wish I could have played it faster, but that is kind of the, the, the bane of this show mm-hmm. uh, is that we have to talk about it when we're done playing it. And if we played this <laughs> as fast as we wanted to, oh my God. these episodes would be would eight be. hours long. <laughs> yeah. Or we would have to go way, way higher level. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I agree. I, I Like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that the more that I think about it, the less certain things sort of make sense to me. And so I like I almost feel like it would be better if I didn't <laughs> think <laughs> yeah, about no, it yeah. that hard. I think so. Also, I I think it would have been more successful if it were slightly less complicated. Mm. Like, I feel like you could tell a version of this story with like maybe fewer players and maybe like just a little like pared down and at the end of the game there would be more sort of it would be easier to comprehend and i think that the like magic trick that it's pulling off would be more effective Mm -hmm. at least for me Mm -hmm. because i you know i have obviously been way way deep in the weeds on this and still there are some things that i'm like pretty fuzzy on yeah um but like i don't know at the end of the day i do think that it's very good at like communicating its themes um you know like we've mentioned, the the love theme is huge. I think there's also a, a fairly obvious theme of like what it means to leave behind a legacy and how, you know, that comes with like relinquishing control to the next generation mm-hmm. and understanding that like you have to trust the next generation to, you know, do what what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think another theme that I forget if we talked about, I know I talked about it a bit maybe a couple of weeks ago now. Um, and I posted about it, um, at length in the discord, but I think that there is more obviously a theme of like, you know, our relationships with media, with like books and movies Mm -hmm. and TV. Um, and the idea that like, while those things (laughs) may be fictional, when you're in the midst of consuming them, they feel extremely real. And like, I think this game is just a celebration of that Mm. and the way that like media can do that for us. Yeah. And less obviously, you know, and maybe less intentionally, but I, I really like a read of that is also commenting on social media, digital community, parasocial relationships. Mm. Um, We talked about the fact that like, uh, in that scene where Shu accuses Ida of trying to create this like idealized version of Tomi, it's very interesting that like Tomi is also the character who was like a social media star and an idol. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's sort of, I don't know, I I think that there's a, you could read it as saying a lot about like parasocial relationships and how part of, you know, consuming media sometimes is reimagining it to be what you want it to be in like kind of an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it comes to things like social media. Um, but at the same time, like th- I think as with all of these themes, the game ultimately has a very optimistic view of how, you know, even though those like relationships that you form over social media or online or, um, you know, with the podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though they, you know, they are not necessarily like, the same as an in-person relationship or, you know, um, it's not 
you know, tangible or whatever. It is still very powerful and and very real. And I, I like that interpretation, um, maybe selfishly as someone who is currently talking on a podcast with a, a friend <laughs> that they made online. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, very, very well I think executed and communicated themes. And I think that that is like one of the biggest strengths of the game is that not only does this stuff come together in the end um, on a practical level for the most part, mm-hmm. like it, it, it is saying something very effectively and very optimistic, which is fun. Yeah, nice. it is very optimistic and it definitely has this kind of rosy view on humanity as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, as we talked about of like humanity existing inherently being virtuous uh, which is a yeah. thing that I'm not <laughs> full. I sure uh, not not fully sure that I I grok with really. Yeah. Uh, As part of our final thoughts, I did want to yeah. ask you. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. If you had a thought, no, I, I I wish I could have something as well, like well thought out and, and verbose as what you said. But I really do echo a lot of the stuff that you've said um, about about this game's views on you know or, or the way that this game like crystallizes its themes and views and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think is really I think is really well done. And I also think that's like part of the boons of only having one writer is that the the views and you know the stuff the game is trying to say mm-hmm. is pretty it's consistent. Uh yeah, pretty coherent, yeah. right, exactly. So it's not like all a bad thing just to have one person write a game, but like I still have I have bigger problems beyond like the thematic uh storytelling, right. you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah. I will say, you know, in complimenting the writing, like, I think a lot of the reason that this works is that the game is extremely deliberate with its choice of language, but plays fast and loose with meaning. So things like UFO and space yeah. and like these are words that get bandied about and have what appears to be a very clear meaning, but um, is actually, you know, is is being manipulated uh, to like you know, fuck with your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, space, meaning not physical space, but like hard drive data <laughs> right. space is like right. very cool. Um, and I think that that kind of thing is probably very hard to pull off. So like kudos yeah. to Kamatani, the writer, but yeah. also I think that I'm sure localizers did a lot of work to to be very careful about that. Yeah, and for so sure. Got to give credit where it's due there. Yeah. I wanted to ask you how you felt about the virtual reality twist. Cause I, I saw people in the discord seem to be very split about it and Hmm. it, it seems like it didn't land for a lot of people. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was good, you know? Um, (laughs) I don't know. What did some of the people who didn't like it say? I'm curious. I saw some folks say like, oh, it, you know, I didn't like it until I saw that we like went back in and, you know, like all of their friends are still there Mm -hmm. and that they, you know, I guess it's like, you know, didn't like that. It was like potentially discarding uh, the entire like world of the game. Yeah. um, And characters within it. I see where that view comes from and I kind of get it, but I also Mm -hmm. think it's summed up really well by Megumi. What we felt was real. What right. We, what was uh, it? Shu says everything up until now was just one big illusion. And Megumi says, even if that's true, what we lived was real. What we felt was real. Yeah. I think that's like the perfect encapsulation of like, mm-hmm. even if all of this stuff is like, quote unquote, fake. Like, yeah, the, it's real. the experiences you had were real and the, the things mm-hmm. that you felt were real. But yeah, just this idea that like, things aren't made real or more valuable because like a real Mm -hmm. person 
you know, made you experience it. Like I, you know, I think this is what the game is also saying with, with media and stuff, you know, like just Mm -hmm. because media, like you said, it can, it can feel like a real thing that is happening and make you feel real things in the moment. Like that is, that stuff matters. And I think that's, I think, I, I think the virtual reality twist really, really drives that message home in a really good way. Yeah. I think it's sort of essential to the the essential themes of the game. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. I really liked it. It could also be because I was biased because I have been championing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's oh true. Oh my god! Have, this reminds me. I need to open the envelope. I was about to say yeah. So you've been you've been championing that idea for a couple of weeks, uh, which reminds me for more than a couple of weeks you have been sitting on your yes. predictions for what is happening in this game. Yeah, um, I still think most of them are wrong, but uh, as you, I'm opening it now. Beautiful on. On the call. It's so much of this is going to read as very goofy now. I think, but <laughs> I don't care if it's goofy. I'm okay. ready to hear it. Uh, this is dated Friday, April 29th, 2022. Uh, I put the time 9.45 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, this is when I was at 14% remembrance, 9% analysis, 31% destruction, 100% hubris. Nice. So... <laughs> I wrote, the events of the game take place in 2187. Nope. Oh. The characters are scientists in a space station that is colonizing space. Not really. As part of their work, they have created some kind of self-replicating robot, raising ethical concerns. Yes, but that was 100% in the game uh, at the time I wrote that. So, you know, I don't get credit for that one. The self-replicating nature of the machines allows them to essentially evolve and develop artificial intelligence. False. They take over the space station. False. I <laughs> I put a little star. Uh, Two thousand one, a space odyssey connection. False. Um, uh, it forces the scientists into essentially some kind of matrix situation. Sort of. <laughs> this is the frame within which most of the game takes place. Sure. Yeah. The matrix is a hodgepodge of historical eras and classic popular culture touchstones. Sure. Uh, and the scientists make sense of what's happening to them by imagining their struggle against the Matrix as a fight against the Dimos. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's not imagined, though. My thought was like mm. they're struggling to get out and like the sort of residual self image mm. version of that that they're experiencing is is personified as this kaiju attack. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Um. At some point, either due to a helpful outside influence, BJ, question mark, false, or of their own volition, sort of, they come to realize the truth and try to break free, I guess. Uh, This is why we see adult Jiro Izumi and Iori slash Shihiro slash Morimura blow up a factory and why Jiro kills some of his friends. And then I put a little footnote. This event is called a relentless nightmare, but the nightmare isn't the scene itself. It's the fake world in which the protagonists are trapped. Sort of. Sure. He has realized something is wrong, and these scenes represent his attempts to break free of the Matrix from within. That is true. That might be the closest I got to write. Um, Destruction represents the destruction of the Matrix. False. This is why so... Well, maybe... Maybe sort of true. It's what triggers the destruction of of the facility. This is why so much attention is drawn to the fact that the quote city is being destroyed. False. In many ways, that is the goal. False. (laughs) The final battle, starting with the event, quote, the beginning, represents the protagonist's final push to escape the Matrix. That's true. Um, so basically that was a, a whole bunch of wrong stuff with some very, very broad things yeah. ending up being true. Specifically, the virtual reality thing became my uh bugbear over the last few weeks. Yeah. Um 
there's definitely some truth in there. I think the, the you know, you caught on what the game was trying to telegraph uh, in certain ways. Some ways. Yeah. It's not, it's, it could have been worse, I think. <laughs> it could have been worse, but it wasn't very good. No, it wasn't perfect, but... Uh, <laughs> the hubris mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of thinking that I had it all figured yeah. out. <laughs> uh, amazing. I do just want to say it now seems less silly to me that Okino copied the Dimos code <laughs> or the Dimos game code into the because he was he was like, oh, this is just like a simulation to teach them what Earth is like. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> I do think that's good. Yeah. Um, oh, um, we should also just sorry. I'm going through. There's a section of my notes that I just titled random thoughts. Okay. The naked teens thing. Is it justified in the end? I do not think so. I understand they're gr- being grown in the pod so they would not be wearing clothing. Sure. OK, fine. Didn't need to be over sexualized poses. Could have just been bare shoulders up for everybody. We can do better than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor art. Direction. There's also like a lot of things that I'm still confused about, but mm. we don't have to talk about that now. I think that might be better saved for our uh final our episode, final episode next week cool mm-hmm. uh and before we end this episode and yes. finish talking about the actual events of this game well i guess even that's not true <laughs> because <laughs> of what's happening next week but uh before yeah. we end this one we have one final super ranking super uh, ranking kim has gone above and beyond and created here for us uh uh a ranking chart with all of the characters and their 2188 counterparts and some of uh, the main AI characters. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, now that we realize that the 2188 people are just like totally separate yes. people, it feels wrong to yeah. like lump them in for rankings sure. with, you know, the clones for sure. So. For sure. Okay. Uh, do we want to just go bottom to top? What do we want to do? Yeah. Okay. So this tier list is from S to D. Uh, so in oh, I did change the D to F. I did make modifications for my personal. Oh no, um, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> live your truth. However you want to do it. Uh, that's fine. Mine is from S to D. Uh, Kim has modified hers, but that's fine. So in my D tier, um, I have actually I'm going to do it kind of on the fly. Uh. Below D here, we have hell for me. Uh, and in hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in hell, we have fluffy Renya Goto and uh, AI Tetsuya Ida. Renya Goto? Uh, sorry, is in sorry, hell? 2088 Renya Goto. Okay. okay 2188 okay. Renya Goto. Maybe okay. she doesn't belong in hell, but belongs low. <laughs> yeah. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Above that, we have uh, D, uh, where I have uh, in sim Sukasa Okino. Uh, as well as Wajima and uh, InSim Megumi Yakushiji. Uh, they are my they are my D. My C tier is packed. Just a lot of characters that I do not care about or or really don't really fully have an opinion on. Uh, in my C tier, uh, I'll break it up like this. My twenty one eighty eight C tier is Tamao Karabe, Nenji Ogata, Sukasa Okino, uh, Professor Morimura, Tomi Kisaragi, uh, Tetsuya Ida. And uh, Ryoko Shinonome, my AI C tier <laughs> is Ms. Murimura, uh, Onishi the Ogre, and Tamal Karabe. And my just in sim C tier is ba- Baby <laughs> Chihiro and Juro Karabe, a man who I still okay. do not have any feelings about. Yeah. My B tier, uh, I have, uh, I forget his name, uh, Yakushiji, dad, 
Oh, well, that was meant to be like child Yakushiji because we don't know anything about him, really. I guess we don't know anything. Uh, yeah, about I was going to say, I really have feelings about Megumi as a child, but her dad is, yeah. hey, a nice guy just trying to save his daughter. I feel really bad for that man. Yeah. Uh, so he's at, a, he's at a B for me. I also have 2188 Miura and 2188 Natsuno. Uh, and also uh, in Sim, uh, Eiseki Gohara, Shu Amiguchi and uh, 426 are also B for me. And then my A tier... <laughs> is uh kyutashiba big just big fan of the energy honestly <laughs> i also have uh miyuki inaba 2188 hijiyama 2188 izumi insim iori hijiyama uh, and and goto they are all a my s tier is bj natsuno ogata yuki miwa uh 2188 yuki <laughs> uh, miura and tomi <laughs> And then above S, I have S, stupidest motherfucker do ever exist, uh, A, Sekigahara for 2188. <laughs> so that is, my, uh, that is my definitive rankings here. Uh, amazing. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll... I would love to see a screenshot. Yes, I was yeah, going to say, let me, I'm going to uh, send this to you and we'll post it somewhere. So uh, at the very be- bottom, uh, in tier F for fuck you, we have adult... In Sim Tetsuya Ida, Tetsuya Ida from 2188. Honestly, I don't know what he did, but I just know that he sucks. <laughs> we have Fluffy and we have Wajima. Sure. D tier, D for don't. Um, we have we have Kyushiba and we have Onishi the Ogre. I don't actually have any problem with Onishi the Ogre, but like a cab, you know. <laughs> nice. Um, and then uh 2188 versions of Nenji Ogata, A Sekigahara, Renya Goto, and Chihiro Morimura. C tier, C for complicated. We have in Sim, uh, Eiseki Gahara, uh, Baby Chihiro, Megumi Yakushiji, Shu Amiguchi, Tsukasa Okino, Miss Morimura, Juro Izumi as an adult, and 2188 Ryoko Oh, that... That Juro I had is 426. I guess that's not. He is 426. He is like, okay. he's, I mean, it's, it's sort of silly to have separate rankings for <laughs> Fluffy and yeah. Shiba and, but like they did all have different personalities. Yeah. So that's why. So next up we have uh tier B for boring, um, <laughs> which is Juro Karabe, Tamal Karabe, 2188 Tamal Karabe and the 2188 Yakushijis who I know nothing about. We have another B tier B for Benoit Blanc, and that is Renya Goto. Just Renya Goto. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have A for Aw, yeah. Um, <laughs> where we have Iori, Fuyusaka. Uh, these are all in sim. Hijiyama, Miura, Shinonome, and Miwa. We have 2188 Kisaragi, 2188 Yasified Juro Izumi. And Miyuki Inaba. S tier, S stands for sweet babies. My sweet babies are uh, In Sim, Tomi, Yuki, and Natsuno. BJ's up here. And then we have 2188 Yuki uh, and 2188 Natsuno and Mira because I love their little uh, flirt- flirtation <laughs> over Skype. Next up, we have a tier called I Am So Sorry You Deserve So Much Better for 2188 Okino and Hijiyama. And at the very top, of course, Oh Captain, My Captain, and Giogata uh, in Sim. Beautiful. Incredible. Amazing. That's it. That's it. Those are the rankings. We'll put those in Discord. Maybe we'll put them on Twitter as well. Cool. Um, And that means that we are done 
with yep. this portion of the podcast. Um, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, holy shit, gang. It's kind of wild. We were not sure how to do this season, and it didn't really click until uh, maybe five episodes <laughs> ago. If yeah. That. Yeah, one might argue that it's still uh, kind of a mess, but, you know. <laughs> yeah we did what we could we did what we could thank you for for sticking with us through through all that yeah hopefully games in the future will be easier to talk about than this one uh but Mm -hmm. we will see next week we will be doing uh, to the best of our ability yes uh, a full chronologically ordered recap of the story (laughs) of 13 sentinels will it be good maybe will it be fun maybe will we be drinking responsibly responsibly (laughs) uh so you can join us for that next week yes we will post if i haven't already uh by the time this episode comes out we will post the day this episode comes out yes the rules uh that we will be using for the responsible liquid consumption game yeah which we have called uh 13 sentinels aegis gin uh great name We've also uh, floated the ideas of uh, a drinkriness and a sipriness, uh, which I think are both really good. <laughs> so, yeah, then we'll be done talking about the game. And hey, that'll actually be 13 episodes uh, for this uh, this season, which is the thing that we set out to do mm-hmm. in the beginning. Uh, and yeah, we weren't sure if it didn't was think work. was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it did. Uh, so that's cool. Do you have anything else before I start fully outroing the show? No, just let's go. Cool. Let's do it. Let's go. This has been a long one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Like I said, we'll, we will be back next week. Thank you, as always, to Scout Wilkinson for making our incredible, incredible podcast art. You can follow her on Twitter. You can go to her Kofi page. All of those links are in the show notes. Uh, it's really, really grateful to have such wonderful art. Uh, and speaking of wonderful art, our music is also art and it's good. Uh, and that's by Amaranthan. You can follow him on Twitter. You can go to Bandcamp and buy his stuff. I think you should do both of those things. If you would like to follow the show on Twitter, we're at AsyncPod. If you want to join the Discord, there's a link to the worstgarbage.online at the bottom of the show notes, which will lead you to the website where all of the network's shows are, as well as a link to the Discord. Thank you, The Worst Garbage, for having us on the network. It's great fun. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at AJ Falleri. I am at Okimis. And we will be back next week. Drink in hand for 13 Sentinels Aegis Gin. But before that, Kim. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Um, Even though, you know, it was all just a game, what we lived was real and what we felt was real. Amazing. It had to be that. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Garbage. The online.